In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. We have another very special episode. We have. Oh, I'm Colin. I'm Nathan. I'm a very another, special Nathan. <laughs> another very special episode. We have the 1984 film Red Dawn. The Nathan, film that made a, America. <laughs> do you have a history with Red Dawn? Well, I would have been 10 years old when it came out, and uh, so no, I never saw this in theaters or anything. It's one of those movies like mom and dad didn't watch me want me to watch because they were very concerned about my obsession with like nuclear war and the end of the <laughs> world. Because even when I was 10 years old, I was like obsessed with it's like, what are the weapons they're using and, and why, you know, and how, how do we win this? And, you know, and they, they, they always, they didn't want me to watch stuff like this. So <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I watched this movie. Till I was like 18. Uh, it was just yeah to me this was just like on constantly on like tbs and tnt or wgn so so it's always been kind of a movie in the background for me so i've had like more of an appreciation watching it this time because i always just shrug this off as just like a jingoistic american nonsense war movie yeah and it's not that it's actually more of an anti-war movie than you think it is because a lot of the fantasy is built around built around um, like American military jingoism, and then people use the imagery for that from this movie, but that's not what this movie is about. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is one of those movies that was um oh, because who wrote the script? Was it Kevin Anderson? John Millionist. Oh. Uh, you know, yeah, Kevin Reynolds wrote the original. Oh, Kevin script Reynolds, called... yeah. Ten soldiers. It was like was it? Ten Soldiers was the original one, and yeah. then Milius kind of rewrote it uh, quite a bit. Because, uh, like, I guess Re- Reynolds' version of the story is more like, yeah, it's Soviets invade and kids have to uh, fight off the Soviets. But his version was more about like Lord of the Flies, where they all descend into madness and yeah. like kind of fall apart. And then Milius's was slightly different. Milius is actually more based on his own childhood. Cause that's why it takes place in Colorado. Cause Milius, like he was like the youngest of like five children. And like when he was born, his dad was 58. Oh, wow. Okay. So he had like an old dad and like, they stopped like caring about like how to raise their kids. So he was a real wild child <laughs> and did a lot of rebellious surfing. Like he was a big surfer, but also like, I guess in the days he was a surfer, that was like being a, in a biker gang, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah 50 surfers a lot different from 60s and 70s surfers <laughs> um, more of a punk ethos i gather and so they sent him to a boarding school in colorado uh because he was you know they just got tired of dealing with them and at that boarding school in colorado one of the things you could do is you could wake up early in the morning just before dawn go to the school check out a rifle and a horse 
and go out into the mountains and go hunting and then come back before school started. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, maybe if they did that, things would be better. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, that's, that's something you could do in Colorado. So. <laughs> Imagine doing that in like New York City. These kids riding around with a horse and I mean, a rifle. <laughs> I mean, there used to be like gun clubs at school. Yeah, in the I early shot days. guns like, at school when I was in school, and I'm not that old. And they, they did transition to like, uh, let's not have guns in school. And then they kind of transitioned to like archery and stuff. Uh, and now even that's gone as yeah. far as I know. I mean, it's probably at some rich schools, you know prep schools or whatever no but. well i shot 22 rifles at school was like when we lived in like arkansas and georgia like that i think it's probably still going on down there <laughs> but yeah you're not doing that in like you know anywhere you know where we live or especially on the coasts yeah maybe well maybe south carolina i don't know they're kind of different but so yeah like a lot of this a lot of this movie is kind of based on his kind of growing up in high school at a boarding school and kind of that was like how this movie was kind of born out of from the Kevin Reynolds script of 10 soldiers. So yeah. Yeah. Directed by John Milius, who's one of Hollywood's wild men. Uh, he's, you know, every movie kind of, he's been involved with, I've generally liked. Yeah. Whether he wrote I mean, the script or he directed it or did something. I was like, I like his stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of, I mean, his persona is he's a right wing nutbag. Uh, which isn't untrue. He loves guns and he's in the NRA and you know loves all that stuff. But like, I don't know, like the the person because like the the people he grew up with and went to school with because he's a part of what they called the USC Mafia because it was him, Lucas Spielberg, uh, Coppola, um, Zemeckis, and even I don't know, I don't think he had been NYU. Where did Scorsese go? I don't know. They uh, I watched the movie where like they scorsese knew him too but scorsese i think scorsese was just around then and but i don't think he was a part of the usc mafia or as they called it at the one point anyway so like his direct classmate was george lucas he was in class with george lucas and then like spielberg and zemeckis they were around and coppola they were around too and so like you know all those guys are pretty like heavy lefties and stuff like that and so when they talk about john milius like he's they're like he's a great friend but his persona and his political persona is very grating and forced. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know, like George Lucas has like a great story where apparently he was, when he was shooting like kind of the prototype to THX 1138 in college, like he went out and got it done and finished it before everybody else finished the project. And so I guess the teacher said that he couldn't screen it because it would embarrass everybody else. Cause they didn't have their project done. And so John Millius went up and punched the teacher, yeah. <laughs> like in defense of George Lucas. And George Lucas said, "Like, yeah, that that's a story that's told all the time. All the time, and some people think it's not real, but being that I was an eyewitness, I will tell you that's true." Yeah. <laughs> they also said that, like, that you know, even though like all these great filmmakers came out of that era, they say like film school at that i at that time wasn't like idealized, and even they were like outcast at usc for the film school they were in yeah and there, was, and there was only like eight people in the class and stuff like that because they said there's three film schools ucla usc and nyu and that was all there was at the time yeah you didn't have like every state university now has a film program and yeah yeah no it's, it was not because what kind of work could you you could work in the hollywood system or make commercials or yeah there was there was like yeah. a limited call for that yeah i mean yeah you could do 
yeah, it's like commercials, live broadcasts for news, uh, TV, and movies. So, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, that's a lot, but still, it it all gets focused down into a very small amount of people. They only trust so many people to the job. There's enough work for them to go around, but money people only trust success. You know, recent success. So yeah, <laughs> a few people get to actually do it. So. Yeah, when you get out, um, at, when you get it, well, and also like director driven, writer driven stuff like didn't exist. And that's a product of like the last 15, 20 years. Like before that, nobody cared. There was a few guys, it's like, oh, John Ford's making a film, but really it was all the actors were the, were the, that's yeah. what drew everyone. Well, I think here they talk about like how the, like kind of the, these USC guys came up and made, started making blockbuster movies like, you know, like Jaws and stuff is because, at at the time a lot of the old guys that owned these 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 hollywood studios the people that were in the film business and started it because of their love for film and not a business they were starting to retire and then all these film companies got sold off to conglomerates or whatever and they didn't know what to do with movies so the movies started to really suck and then like nobody went to the movies anymore until like you know spielberg and stuff started making blockbusters and that's what brought everybody back to the movies and so even though like these guys like look at these obvious geniuses they had to like claw and tear to, to get all their movies made and make millions of dollars for these stupid people yeah who fought them every <laughs> inch of the way yeah <laughs> uh and so yeah it's a very close-knit group where like they just end up working together on everything even though they are not credited for it john millie says i'll uh, a slew of things that are not credited to him that he is like you know famous for like uh he he wrote the indianapolis speech in jaws okay um so that's the one with, with like they had black eyes like dolls eyes and that was yep. john millius okay okay yes, i remember that one of the most famous speeches <laughs> in the movies. Yeah. that was john millius okay uh also yeah another thing with john millius is like he had asthma so he wanted to be in the in the military but he wasn't allowed to because of asthma so it kind of is very similar to like we were talking about with tom clancy last week oh yeah um john Melius also did script work on the hunt for red october yeah but not much not much well not enough that he got credited but it was acknowledged that he did no uh so he worked so i forget the producer like sean connery was basically looking to get off the movie because he didn't like what he was getting he didn't like the script he want i want big speeches like i'm a big part of this movie and so they allowed john millius to come in and write a speech for sean cottery and but the way he describes it as is mctiernan only let him write the russian parts when it was in russian okay and so basically he didn't write anything for the movie yeah you're gonna write all the <laughs> subtitled stuff yeah uh i mean that's what he says so i don't mm-hmm. know because like if you if you because we we talked about last week is like they had to cut all the Russian stuff because they didn't trust his Russian accent. So basically it's like John Milius wrote like, like three sentences for the movie. Uh, and then this documentary I watched, they showed that speech where it's like, you know, we're going to fight our enemies one more time, the American Navy. And so that's what they showed in the movie as like, that's the part he wrote the big speech for Sean Connery, but like, that's not Russian. So he wouldn't have wrote that so i have no idea so that's also hollywood so conflicting stories for drama you know it's what they do so but uh see so yeah, you wrote the uh you know the the famous uh dirty harry speech like you know like did you find you know you know the the, the stuff about the 44 magnum most powerful handgun in the world do you feel lucky punk you know all that stuff was john milius 
Uh, he wrote Apocalypse Now. Uh, you know, the famous line for, you know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning and that stuff. Yeah, he, he directed uh, Conan the Barbarian uh, and wrote that, like co-wrote that. Well, not co-wrote it. Him and Oliver Stone wrote a version of it. <laughs> uh which yeah in the, in the interview i saw with everybody oliver stone like their were their relationship is quite interesting because milius is like oh shit. like he, he hated oliver stone for being like this peace-loving lefty but it also like oh, shit, that guy went to vietnam <laughs> and yeah. i didn't so he loved to hear war stories from oliver stone but hated his politics and so they were and like they didn't hate each other they just kind of like well our political ideals don't coalesce but we love being around each other. <laughs> John Millius has written some of the most famous things in Hollywood, and you probably know one of them. He's just probably not credited. But, but yeah, because like the USC guys, they would they would all work together on stuff. So that's why he wrote that for Spielberg and was uncredited for it, because like he just like Spielberg's like, I need this thing, and like you're a good writer, and so he wrote that basically like over the phone. And then I well I don't know there's like many different stories about that. The way Spielberg tells it. Is that he sent him a ten-page script for just that Indianapolis speech, and then they said the the actor cut it down to about five pages. You know, he just cut out a bunch of it. He didn't necessarily change anything. He just cut it down to smaller. And then also, Millius tells said, said like when they were filming that scene that that guy was drunk, <laughs> and he had like screwed the nanny, and he was like going off in like, a, like <laughs> weird, like weird like uh aside so he's like no you gotta stay on script <laughs> wow uh but yeah so like but yeah originally originally lucas was going to direct apocalypse now <laughs> i remember hearing about that um and then but he was going to make it more documentary style and way low budget and then but coppola came on board and he made it to basically like a giant epic uh you know that took forever like they're all talking about like you know but when Coppola dies making this movie, Lucas, you got to take over. And Lucas, when you die, then then it's 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 uh, it's Milius's turn to, to finish the movie. So we all got to come together to finish this movie. Yeah, yeah, this movie's gonna kill everyone that tries to make it. But we're and, and again, like you know, Milius, who's seen as this right wing nutbag, wrote Apocalypse Now, and he he does delve into like you know the the cinema of warfare which is very awesome to see but it is an anti-war movie <laughs> let's see here uh, yeah, directed by john milius uh, cinematographer is rick Waite, which i i forget what he's done before let's look it up real quick oh he did oh yeah he did like 48 hours cobra okay kind of near it. some 80s action movie stuff I don't know. This, the cinematography in this movie is 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 good. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, but it doesn't necessarily stand out necessarily more than the concept of the movie. Uh, written by Kevin Reynolds, who's got a story by and a screenplay credit, and John Milius also like he's, he basically did a draft of it where he changed a lot, so he gets credit for that too. Uh, cast is Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howe, Leah Thompson, which probably aren't the most famous people, but we'll get to all the people there in the cast. Yes, yeah, got a crazy cast. <laughs> yeah it's one that's definitely like oh it's like it's like this and the outsiders where it was just like you know well i mean that's what they called like the brat pack later on where it was just all these people that ended up in like every famous 80s movie from then on but yeah uh, even though this is like the mid 80s but i guess also this was the first released pg-13 movie right 
um because it was at because i always i always get the trivia wrong i always think it's like temple of doom was the first pg-13 movie but it was no it was that and gremlins made the the mpa it's like oh we need another rating because both these films are too violent for pg but not violent enough for r so <laughs> and then they created the pg-13 rating and I guess technically a movie called Flamingo Kid got rated PG-13 first, but it wasn't released. It was like held back for like five months or whatever. And so this was the first released PG-13 movie. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's what that, okay. With all trivia, there's heavy modifiers to make the trivia <laughs> worthwhile, I guess. So we got Act 1, we got Titles, and this is probably the first time I ever watched this movie that I, I remembered or... <laughs> that there were titles that explained everything up front because for some reason i don't remember this at all uh get soviet union suffers the worst wheat harvest in 55 years labor and food riots in poland uh soviet troops invade cuba nicaragua uh reach troops or yeah cuba and nicaragua meet reach troop strength goals of 500,000. el salvador and honduras fall greens party gains control of west german parliament demands Withdrawal of nuclear weapons from European soil. Mexico plunged into revolution. NATO dissolves. The United States stands alone. <laughs> this was all. Uh, this was all real stuff too. This was, uh, you know what? Remember, remember all the the satanic evil in Charlie Wilson's war about what we were doing in Central and South America, yeah. And how Rakatos was always like, hey, "You guys are going to f-ing prison. Like wh- whatever you're doing." this is going to end with you in jail. It's like the real fight is in Afghanistan and no one wanted to listen to him because all the central European or central uh, American and South American stuff was sexy. Cause it's like, that's what the, that's what the Russians are going to do. And then, uh, and actually the wheat harvest did fail in 1978 in, in uh, Ukraine. That's why it was always this cold war with America and, and the Soviet union throughout the eighties was so weird. It's like, yeah, they buy a bunch of our, our their food from us, like so they're gonna go to war with us and would starve. <laughs> um, and this was kind of like uh, I don't I don't know when I think Red Storm Rising came out around this time too. Now that was about their oil fields being sabotaged, but it's the same thing. It was like the Soviet Union, the non-nuclear World War Three was always contingent upon like something's gonna put the Soviets back to the wall, yeah. and. Uh, and the uh, and the Greens and the Liberals did want uh, nuclear weapons out of Europe in the eighties. Uh, that was a real thing. They didn't get it, but and remember the TV show The Americans, where they thought that we were developing something to make their crops fail, and uh, they went and sent those two into this lab, and they actually figured out no, we were trying to stop crop failure, but <laughs> the Soviets were so paranoid. They're like, no, the Americans are going to just kill all the crops so we starve. And it's like, yeah, that would kill their crops too. But okay, yeah. But yeah, this was what? always uh, a scenario. Well, that was interesting because, like, you know, this scene is like a ridiculous movie, and even John Milius is like, "Yeah, this concept's ridiculous." So he tried his best to tr- to create a scenario where these things happen. And even though this is like a conventional war, like they say later on, like, "Oh, nukes were used, yeah. but everyone stopped using them. We just never see nukes in the movie." So. Yeah, it's, they didn't have the budget for it, and it's also that's like an end game thing. Like when you roll that out in a movie, that always means like, well, that's the last act, and then the next is people being very cold and dying of horrible like <laughs> radioactive based diseases. So 
Yeah. Well, I said, I don't know, maybe this was a Clancy thing too, but he said like the idea at the time was like a limited nuclear warfare where it's like, oh, we can get away with just three nukes and then everybody stops. Yeah. And so that's, that's, so that conversation that was going on with like, you know, West Point people that he had like, you know, he could get their ear. He also like a, uh, friends with Alexander Haig and stuff like yes. that. So uh, he was getting like that, that kind of stuff to put in the movie. So he was like rolling with those ideas. So. I mean, the only thing they didn't put in the title explainer credits, like the, you know, the, the scroll of things that was almost as much as like a star Wars opening <laughs> was that, Oh, and we have a weak, weak limp, a uh, limp wristed Democrat is our president. Like they didn't put that in, but you could tell they wanted to. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like you know it's like well this is why we get invaded by you know because yeah the, the whole concept of invading america and people being afraid of it is like oh that's psychotic like you could <laughs> never invade america unless everyone in the country was dead and even then it would be t- very difficult to get that many troops over here even to occupy a country full of corpses so <laughs> it's like the the, the 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 thing in this movie is like yeah it's crazy but you got to go with the what if because yeah. like, it's not doesn't make sense otherwise because i know a lot of people crap on this movie just because of that alone it's like well america can never be invaded not it can't be invaded now let alone 40 years ago with that level of technology it's like no it can't but what if it was you know what what if that's people that are engaged in like kind of like war game stuff and like what's possible yeah. well other people are just they they don't engage in that stuff they're just enraptured by fear and so yeah. this could catch their attention too it's like oh my god what happens when the soviets invade it's yeah. like well well it's not gonna happen but okay here you go well, remember i told you about those people they were interviewing in the 90s about you know when iraq invaded uh kuwait and it's like you know in the news said it's like the fourth most powerful army in the world has invaded its neighbors and there are people in america like when are they going to invade here like the iraqi army is going to (laughs) stage some kind of (laughs) d-day off the coast of california (laughs) and people were like yeah when it when it comes we're ready for him it's like i bet you are (laughs) i'm sure we're safe that billy bob is is ready to face the 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 iraqi uh navy and their their proven siege force The, the Iraqi littoral assault ships that will be <laughs> pulling in to... Uh, so we get those titles. Then we cut to just shots flying through clouds. Yeah. I guess if you've never seen this movie, that would not make sense at all until later. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I guess you know, like almost um, two minutes later. But you know, <laughs> it's like, why are we in the clouds? Is this Superman? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> just, just a guy flying in an American flag. It's like Homeland. It's just the American flag <laughs> suit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's supposed to like, you know, like, well, the, uh, the danger is coming from the sky. Yeah. So we're showing the sky. Watch the skies. <laughs> um, that, was that an X-Files catchphrase? I uh, that was, that's you, UFO, ufology 101. That's all. Oh, okay. Watch the skies. They're coming. I've heard that in a lot of things. So yeah, it was probably said in the X-Files a lot. Uh, we got a title that just says September. Uh, then we get a shots of like an empty and serene American town, which is just kind of weird. It's like, did an apocalypse already happen? Has the war started? It's like, yeah. nope, this is an America in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of looks really bad. <laughs> this is that thing that everyone's wants to fight to the death over, like a <laughs> bunch of dumpy gray buildings. 
Yeah, has, has Colorado turned... already been balkanized by the Soviets? <laughs> Why does it look this way? Oh, no, that's just how they do things. Uh, we, get, we get a shot of a Teddy Roosevelt statue. It says, the Rough Rider, uh, far better it is to dare mighty things than to take rank with those poor, timid spirits who know neither victory nor defeat. Uh, John Millis is a big fan of, of Teddy Roosevelt, yeah, oh, yeah. so just throw this in here. He, he did later on go on to direct a movie called rough riders which is about that so uh, i've never seen it so i don't know <laughs> uh because this get this gets a lot of slack for being a jingoistic right-wing propaganda movie when it's if you actually analyze it it isn't uh so i don't know if rough riders is that or not <laughs> yeah well there's uh, been a lot of revisionism around theodore roosevelt too you don't know what to believe anymore yeah yeah uh we get patrick swayze he plays jed yep uh, like everyone has a last name, but in the credits, everyone just has one name, <laughs> including the Air Force Colonel, who's just Andy. So that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> so I just go by the credits that were uh, on Air Movie Database. So. Uh, he drops his brother off. I wrote or something. I don't know. He drops off. I think it's Ardvark and Matt. I don't know why Ardvark's with them, but you know he's just there. I guess they're in the same class. He probably lives next door or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this just shows that, like, oh, this is the older brother who's out of high school, and this, and this is the brother that's in high school. And Matt's played by Charlie Sheen. Who you want. Uh, I'm not sure how early this was in his career, but... This movie has early. said it basically launched the careers of Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. Like, they had both been in other things, but this was like, oh, yeah. people noticed them. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Frank McRae, who we last saw in... Uh, last action hero. Well, this also has an iconic movie vehicle, the uh, late seventies uh, Chevy K10 stepside pickup, four wheel drive. Oh, it's a K10. Okay, I wrote my notes S10, just you know, offhand. So, okay. No, it's a K. It's a full size. It's a K series. Uh, but but the it was uh, I forget what kind of engine it had, but it was a um, it was a four wheel drive pickup, and it was one of those things. It was like a it was a very iconic movie. It was in a lot of movies in the eighties. That was always a lot of good guys drove those trucks, uh, and they're fairly expensive at the time too. Uh, because anything that, anything that had like a step side bed or any customized stuff like that it was like way more complicated to do that back then than it well, would be is, now. Is step side purely aesthetic, or does it have like a a purpose use other than getting in the back from the side <laughs> you think with my background i would know the answer to that but i think it's purely aesthetic i think it just looks okay. cool because it does make the bet the box i'm sorry the the what everyone else calls the bed of the truck it does make it narrower so it's cargo yeah. hauling space is limited by that uh step side but you know so i think it's more it just looks you, cool. but you don't got that hump yeah. So everything can go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there is no hump. It's a straight bed inside. Straight box. Uh, now they have the hump, but they synthesize the hump. Like it's like a it's like an applique that goes. They have holes in the fender, and you put this thing on so it looks like a hump. Because huh. uh, they haven't made hump side bed. Oh, you can't with aluminum. I don't think you could. It's hard, a lot harder to make those shapes with aluminum. But yeah, these were cool trucks. Now they all rusted out before you know before the eighties were yeah. over, but. I remember people had them. It's like, those are neat, and they're easy to work on because they literally, the engines in those, they made like 10 million of them. So it's like, yeah, you can find spare parts for this anyway. Yeah, and the great thing about working at trucks, you don't need to raise it up to work on nope. it. <laughs> Matter of fact, sometimes you need a ladder to work on the engine. 
But once you strip all that government pollution crap out of them, you can stand <laughs> right in the engine box and work on things. I know. I've done it. It's like you'd never. It's like that time change of spark plugs. You just kind of appear from underneath the transmission. <laughs> you know, you can only do that in like Chevy trucks. Even the Ford trucks, the way the uh, firewall was designed, you couldn't fit in there. But Well, I, I, I know I know that. Well, the thing that the, there's like a tr- I don't know, trivia but, you know, it's always like BMWs are overly complicated and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the biggest kind of push that BMW ever made in America was the BMW E36. Okay. And so surprisingly, it's a practically designed vehicle that you can actually work on. So much so that changing the oil and if the oil filter, you can change from opening the hood. It's just like you just take it out and put it in. It's like, oh, wow, like a German car where you don't have to do... Four thousand things and buy a eight thousand dollar tool to change the oil. That's yeah, you have to take the engine off the motor mounts to <laughs> change the oil. It's like that's nice. Yeah, big trucks spoiled me. Even my Ranger pickup that I had in high school that really spoiled me for later in life. Because it's like, oh, time to change the oil. It's like you just slid on the ground and got underneath <laughs> there. And not now. Now there's like sound absorbing plates and. Now, of course, in my cars that I drive now, you don't have to yell to have a conversation inside. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> but, you know, you also, it's like, how much to change the oil? Oh, $200. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We're not changing the oil on a Bugatti. We're changing the oil <laughs> on a Fusion. It's like, no, they got to pull that sound deadening plate and shit out. It's like, oh, they took all the bad ideas from Jaguar when they bought them, and now they've incorporated <laughs> them. It's like, yeah, it's a very quiet ride in the car, but Wow. Sound deadening plate, really? Dumb. Yeah, well, we make the bottom of your car also aerodynamic. It makes sure you have to take off all the aerodynamic stuff. Yeah, my car, lucky with my car, it, it sits, it, like for a car, it has really high clearance. Yeah. And so I just enough that I can get under there and change the oil without having to put it on. I don't have to lift it up at all, so. Yeah. But I can barely fit it in either. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, just enough yeah so we got franklin mcray plays mr teasdale we lost last saw him in last action hero he was like the angry uh like captain or yes. chief of police or whatever you call that you know like captain of detectives or whatever yeah chief chief detective or whatever. A- angry lieutenant or yeah. whatever uh he's teaching history about the mongols and their tactics of like encircling their foes and killing every living thing within that circle now if i had history teachers like that in high school i would have been enraptured i've been like tell me more (laughs) they wouldn't have had to like hit me in the back of the head and make me pay attention or whatever i would have they would have had my undivided attention (laughs) but this is saying that like yeah well he's also saying like you know when he gets the end like they let one living last living thing they let one living thing be it a person or a butterfly live to tell the story <laughs> just like Mickey and Mallory Knox. <laughs> and then we get Soviet paratroopers start landing outside the school. Uh Mr. Teasdale goes out there is like, hey, the thinking it's just like some National Guard drill that's gone wrong or something like that. With all the stuff going on in the world in the opening credits, this guy's still like blindly walking outside like <laughs> Hey, what's why are you guys setting up a machine gun next? <laughs> How come no one's talking English? What's going on here? You know, questions. You would, <laughs> and why would they shoot up a school? Like, now you couldn't even film yeah. this scene. It's like you, yeah. you would oh, put yeah. this in a movie nowadays because it's, like, too close to what's really going on. That this yeah, they time, just, yeah, they just, 
yeah, because the Russians start or Soviets start indiscriminately killing everybody in the school who isn't armed. <laughs> yeah, no one in the school is armed. That's the big difference between then and now. <laughs> Nowadays, if they'd done that, people would be busting out the windows and firing back. It's it's like it would have been a whole different story. Well, no, they'd just be cowardly shot with their guns in their hands. Yeah, I'd like to believe they'd shoot back because they know they're going to die anyway because these guys have machine guns. It's like, eh, just fire at them. You know, you're not going to live through it, but, you know, die with your boots on, as they say. Uh, they fire a rocket launcher down the hallway. It's like, why? Yeah. Uh, again i've always wanted to do this ivan come here (laughs) watch this it's gonna go right through the school (laughs) i mean the brilliant thing about this movie and why like it gets this rap of being just like right-wing propaganda is because this is like a teenage fantasy this is like yeah yeah because you're like okay what if something happens and like I, a child, have to like do adult things to save the world? Like, so we're gonna create that scenario. That's what's going on here. So it's like, why are all this stuff? I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense that all this stuff is getting shot up and blown up. But for the scenario for that to happen, like that's what needs to happen. <laughs> I guess I never thought of it that way. I always, I, I always thought of like they were doing this to like, oh the main characters are going to be doing really awful stuff later in the movie this is going to justify yeah yeah. whatever it is they're doing you know because whenever i see like the extreme like murder violence against obviously unarmed innocent civilians it's like oh our main characters are going to be doing some awful (laughs) things and we want to give the audience a reason to cheer for them uh, but also you gotta show like the audience the horrors of war it's like here well here's all your children getting shot up in a school and blown up because, like, it doesn't make sense later on where it's just, like, the city's now, like, taken over and people have capitulated to the Soviets. And it's like, why would they do that after they've just indiscriminately killed children? Yeah, it's like, yeah, we can obviously ally with these people. They wouldn't do <laughs> awful things, would they? Right? Okay. Yeah, I always lo- – I, I, I mock, like the, oh, like, the Darth Vader bad guys. And it's not that Darth Vader's a bad, bad guy, but remember when he was strangling all the admirals in, like, the Empire – and yeah. it's like, yeah, no one's going to like go through more than one of those where they're not like, hey, we need to – okay, we, I know we all hate each other and we're working against each other. We need to team up and shoot this guy out of an airlock now because, uh, number one, obviously our weapons and tactics suck because we can't catch a freighter. And number two, this guy's just going to kill his way through the ranks until no one's left. So do you want to be next, Bill? You, Bob? No, let's shoot this guy out of an airlock or shoot him in the chest and turn off his breathing machine. Uh, because you know we're gonna. Die. So I always love the Darth Vader. Like I'm killing all my subordinates that fail me because everyone's gonna be that much more motivated. Like yeah, right. The only guy who ever got away with that was Stalin, but that's because he did it through cutouts. It's like Stalin didn't do it. Beria did it. He's the bad guy, <laughs> not, not Papa Joe. <laughs> so anyway, back to the movie. As also like that's how yeah you only have two hours to tell a movie, so that's you have to do things really quickly. That's that's uh, book brain in me that comes out. When I'm like, <laughs> you would never do this. Everyone would hate you. If, yeah, you, if I, you murder their children, you destroy their future. They're never going to be on your side. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but you have to have it like like you have to have that turn later on where everybody starts turning and it's the you know it's like the glorious like yeah we made a comeback. Although in this movie that really doesn't. Happen. Nah, that's what I like. <laughs> that's one thing I appreciate about this movie. It's just dark. <laughs> At the end of the day, it is bleak. Which makes uh, Matt, absolute no, no. sense. It's like, yes, it would be. 
Uh, Matt and Arvark are, are, are trying to like take a car, but it just gets shot up and the engine blows up. So they're fine, but you know the car blows up. Well, not fiery blows up. It just you know explodes in a burst of air and gunfire. So you know. yeah, yeah. Um, Even though all you would do is break the engine block and it just wouldn't start, <laughs> and the radiator would leak everywhere. But also they didn't have a car, so we don't even know if like there were keys in the car. Like I doubted, but you know maybe they knew how to hotwire a car. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I do Jed know this up. when you shoot a running engine with gunfire, first of all, it's a lot harder to stop a car with gunfire unless you're using like armor piercing stuff because uh, uh, most engine blocks are, you know, I mean, especially in cars of this era, that's they're pretty thick chunks of like high nickel steel and, and uh, thick cast iron and stuff or not cast iron like, you know, they're, they're good, tough allies. The, the worst damage you could do is break the radiator and the car would overheat about five miles down the road. Like, it would keep going. Yeah. Even if you punched a hole in, like, the oil pan. It was like, oh, the engine would run until the oil ran out of it. Now, modern engines, modern cars, I don't know, because they're mostly plastic and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, they might just stop immediately. And have a bunch of safety sensors that might stop it. Yeah, and stupid <laughs> like that, you know. It's, <laughs> Uh, so Jed shows up back with the truck with the the Chevy K10, yes. uh, and he's he grabs Matt and Arvark and a bunch of more kids. They avoid an RPG, but it hits a school bus and blows it up. So I'm pretty sure kids cheer to that in the theaters. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone got the wrong message from this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> they totally missed it. Then we cut to a bumper sticker that says they can have my gun when they pry it for my gold. I didn't know the saying was this old. I was uh, when I read that, I was like, wait a minute. I thought that was something from the 90s. (laughs) And then that exactly happens. The guy's kind of crawling with his Colt 45 and they pry it from his hand. And that's (laughs) it's very funny because Charlton Heston was born. (laughs) Well, it's also it's Milius essentially making fun of the NRA's own bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's a part of. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> hey, the NRA is, uh, I'm, ambi- I'm ambivalent towards the NRA, too. I, I don't. Uh, so I understand. It's like, yeah, you they're very mockable. But they're also like, well, this is the only group that's like on your side if you're a gun owner. So it's kind of a weird thing to to be a part of. But, yeah. Well, they got more groups now. But then that was like the only ones. Yeah. Uh, so, Jed, yeah, Jed and his Chevy K-10 cruise down Main Street. Aardvark's father calls for him, like, as he's being taken hostage. And he's speaking pan- Spanish, which I never knew. Like, oh, Aardvark's, like, I didn't know he was, like, uh, I don't know, presumably Mexican or something. I don't know. That'd be the closest, you know, Spanish-speaking country. But Yeah. Uh, but I also hear, like, the soldiers speaking Spanish because they're Cuban. So, well, there's a mix, which I, which I didn't necessarily pick out. But, yeah, it's, like, a mix of Soviet and... Well, I guess they're all Soviets. It's a mix of Russian and Cuban uh, soldiers here, but it's supposed to be mostly Cuban because they're the closest that could launch the assault or whatever. So, yeah, that's um, uh, those Cuban soldiers invading. <laughs> all <of> the irony. <laughs> yeah, because that's was okay. I have to ask: Did any of the like scenes with the Soviets have subtitles? Uh, yeah, some of them did. Okay, none of, when I watched it, none of the scenes had, so you just okay, had to if guess. You, if you turn the subtitles on for all the dialogue, all the Spanish oh. and Russian will have no subtitles. But if you turn just the general subtitles off, the ones that are generated in the movie, they will be there. Oh, okay. Because I was <laughs> so, watching yeah, it too, and it's like it was having these long sections of 
and a lot of it wasn't Russian exactly. It was kind of that Russian gibberish they spoke back then. Because yeah. like I didn't, I was like, wait a minute, he, the the red potato is what? What's this guy saying? <laughs> and then it becomes like, oh, okay, they're doing that that kind of Russian gibberish stuff. But it was like, there's no subtitle. This is like long sections of dialogue. And these guys aren't acting in a way where it's like they're communicating meaning, but speaking in Russian like it's clever. This isn't that kind of movie. So it's like, oh, wait, turn the general subtitles off for all the language, and then you'll get the subtitles in Russian oh, okay. for, for the Russian and Spanish in English. Okay, so I didn't know if they were doing some weird artistic choice where it's like it's like an alien – you're like you don't get the plot it's just all alien you have to pick up all on like on like uh body language and stuff yeah like see that. that's what i was I thinking know. too i was like wait a minute this is red dawn this okay. isn't like so. some janus art hound art house film from europe where it's like what are we what are we communicating <laughs> right, well here? i guess i missed all the subtitles and i've just had context clues of what's going on with them but um none of it was like it, it was like interesting because i i went back after I realized what was going on and turned the subtitles off where I could see it. And it's like, it's just basically talking about what they do. So you don't, you know, you're not missing yeah. a lot. Well, the thing you're supposed to pick up on is like, is like the thing with Colonel, Colonel Bella is that like, he was a revolutionary. And so like, this is anathema to what he's doing. He's like, basically it's like, I'm essentially fighting my own people in a different yeah. war. Like I would be on the other side in a different war like right. i'd be with them right that's what i used to do <laughs> that's how i fought the invading army yeah it's like I, i'm against the well-funded huge force i'm the we're the rebels in star wars <laughs> they stop at a gas station outside of town and the guy loads him up with supplies like this is uh c thomas hal here he's play, he plays robert and that's his dad and they grab like guns and coke and oh i love this uh, gas station it's like yeah get you some sleeping bags and uh you know and four thousand rounds of ammunition and you know get you some shotguns here's some rounds like what a gas station is this holy shit <laughs> it's like this is the apocalypse auto and oil like gas station like, yeah it's your one stop like uh oh you weren't prepping well we got you covered here at the gas station <laughs> and by the way the truck well, was all it. shot to shit and somehow they fixed a radiator on the fly and then, because remember, they were pissing in the radiator. Well, that's just next moment. That's okay, next okay, moment. okay. Well, yeah, I thought that was funny too. Is that like they grab all these supplies and they? It's like almost immediately in the next scene, they've seemingly used all their supplies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which would be yo, know, reminiscent of them being teenagers and not knowing how to ration and think ahead of time. That would be a thing, but it's not really a problem here. It's just weird that like they basically, like in a fantasy grabbed all the basic things they would need and then immediately like lose them, even though they don't show them losing them other than like, because basically in the next scene, they're like driving down like some back road and like in a in like in the country. And they're like, they have these fences up where there's farms and there's a blockade ready for them. And they start shooting out. There's like an APC there. And then they cut off into the farm. That's where the, the that's where their car gets shot up. Oh, okay. I thought it was before right here gets okay. hit. But they do see a U.S. Army helicopter come in and, like, provide, you know, fire. So it's, it shoots up the convoy and then, like, takes off, which this is presumably the National Guard doing this. Yeah, I'm not sure. The uh, the Chevy's busted, so they piss in it because they're out of water. Uh, and somebody just makes a suggestion. Uh, Matt makes a suggestion, and then they make, like, the kid that's kind of bitching about everything. He's like, get up there and piss in the rain. <laughs> He's like, all right. Uh, and it seems to be fine. Although I don't think... 
after this, I don't think they ever use the truck ever again, do they? No, I don't remember seeing it. Okay. And we cut to the city at night. It's being blown up with fighting between the Soviets and presumably one of the lone U.S. helicopter because they only have one helicopter. Yeah, it's this helicopter is just like really putting it to them. And I don't know how it's like not being shot because they show them firing like, you know, missiles at it, and it's yeah, it's like doesn't seem to knock it down. It's a very destructive helicopter. It's like buildings are yeah. exploding, rockets are flying yeah. out of it, and there's a guy hanging out the door with a gun. It's like that's a hell of a helicopter, man. That's really doing its bit. Uh, a Cuban Soviet colonel is assessing the situation and directing Cubans and the Russians. He, again, <laughs> all those scenes, I, I don't know what they say, so I don't know if there's anything more that you had for that scene. Other than they're just like, hey, we need to get that chopper down or something. Yeah. So I have that being the end of Act 1 because it's like, well, <laughs> Soviets invaded. <laughs> we got to stop it. <laughs> That's your plot point. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so we have Act Two. We got Jed and his gang of high school kids are hiding out in the woods, which I think I think almost everybody. Yeah, everyone was really young, but like Patrick Swayze was older than I think everybody because he was like twenty eight when this movie yeah uh, was filming. So he would have been older than everybody, but that's what his character is supposed to be. But you know, I think his character is supposed to be like twenty one though. But you know, uh, Swayze can play younger because he's in really good shape. So. Yeah. he was like a dancer and some <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> he was always in good shape uh some of the kids like vote to turn themselves in because like one of them is like the class president so of course you just gotta throw them in there to be you know weaves. <laughs> yeah the guy who's like into like democracy and like part of the political system is like i vote to surrender it's like everyone's like he must be a democrat <laughs> I mean, they don't actually explicitly state this stuff. And is this this yeah. movie kind of gets drugged through the mud as being like, oh, a reactionary fantasy of the '80s? And you know, some of it is, but yeah. it's also a lot of it is like, um, it's it's a lot more weirdly subtle than that. If you yeah. just actually watch the movie, it's like, yeah, it's a combination of a lot of dumb and smart stuff from the '80s. Yeah. So, but yeah, some of the stuff that people come up with in this is like great. Well, again, like when you get served this in this movie, when, when you get served this eye rolling, you know, right wing propaganda, you have to wait to the end of the movie to realize, see, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Jed invites them to like leave, but they, they, they like cowered out in both ways. It's like, well, they're too much of a coward to turn themselves in. They're also too much coward to like say no to Jed. So <laughs> they're just, just completely. Uh, they, they, they're, they're frozen by decision. Yeah. There's like two bad choices, like be cold and hungry in the woods and possibly be killed or go into the waiting arms of, you don't know, death, <laughs> enslavement. Here Jed says that him and Matt have been hunting in the mountains with their father for a long time. And so they can live out here for a long time. They're like, you know, they say, hey, we can hunt and fish. Although that's weird. Cause later on it seems the thing is, which is, would be true is that they're constantly just running out of food. Yeah. Uh, which can be a you know when you're starving it's a very motivating motivating thing to do like you know sell out your friends and stuff like that if people are promising food to you or whatever so but we cut to they're out there hunting here he says like you don't shoot twice so they know where you are this is robert's first hunting kill and so they make him drink the deer's blood yeah I like I like matt says it's kind of like eating steak with a nosebleed <laughs> so, um yeah no one's ever like, like what about diseases 
<laughs> well, we're going to eat this thing later. It's like, yeah, we're going to cook it first, right? <laughs> There's also a lot of like, they're using all the like Native American mysticism here as like, yeah. you know, a part of American culture. And it's like, and like, and, but like, it's used, like, they don't sense the irony of that. No. Because <laughs> also, like, the, the, yeah, it's the, like, like, hey, the Native Americans did this and that. Maybe we should do this. It's like, dude, hold on. Wait a minute. Think about where you are and why you're here right now. Do you want to follow their <laughs> tactics? <laughs> well, also, like, the tagline for the movie is, like, America's never been invaded before. And it's like, well, it depends on your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on, like, what you consider America and when. <laughs> it's like the United States of America. Yeah, right. It has it. Continentally <laughs> as a landmass? Oh, yes. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> And they're back at camp, and they say they need more food. Which again, this is weird. It's like, wait, you just like raided this 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 gas station. You now have a whole deer to eat, and you're yeah, you just killed an elk or something. Like, <laughs> thing weighs as much as your truck did. Like, there should be. I mean, yeah, don't eat don't eat the asshole. I get that, but you got to have something. <laughs> and beef jerky stays forever. So, but again, this could be a thing like we're like I don't know. They don't say like any of the kids are vegetarian, although that would have been a thing you could have played here. It's like oh, those liberals not eating meat because of their morals. Like you idiot, we need to survive. <laughs> um, yeah, well, like, there's like, no vegetarians in a famine. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> uh, it may seem like you know they don't want to eat the canned food and they don't want to eat the deer meat, so that's why we're like we're out of food. It's like no, you're not out of food. You just out of food you want to eat. <laughs> Yeah, I want mashed potatoes. Like, well, you want to catch a bullet, too? Because I'm not willing to do that. So it looks like it's macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and with the Soviets here, we're never getting mashed potatoes ever again. It's vodkas forever, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're not going to use those potatoes to make something, uh, some high-carb some high carb, uh, food for you to eat. Uh, we cut to morning. They're, they're heading back down into town to get, like, food. And they see a bunch of, like, broken-down military equipment. Which I think is supposed to be the U.S. Army being defeated here. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Let's. Well, we want to take a. We want to talk about the military mock-ups in this movie yet, or we just keep. Sure. Going yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just it was. Um, I watched a side documentary about the making. Because uh, this wasn't a huge budget movie, but it wasn't like a micro budget movie either. Yeah, this is a mid-budget movie. I think they did a pretty good job of what they were trying to. Well, we'll just talk about the vehicles, like the land well, vehicles. I, uh, I'll make one kind of like reference here. They said this was a huge hit. They spent 17 million to make it. It only made 38 million in the box office. So that doesn't really scream huge hit to me, but yeah. it is twice the budget. But the, and they also said that this movie saved MGM from bankruptcy. But the year before, they made war games for 12 million and made 79 million. Yeah. That's so a hit. That seems like fraud. Uh, has occurred yeah. <laughs> anyway it's continued someone's not reporting the number right no it's uh they used um i gotta remember this is like 1984 so production's 82 83 and they had a lot of soviet tanks in this movie well of course you couldn't get soviet tanks back then uh for any price um that came much later but so what they did was they based everything around the american m103 chassis which was like a generic tracked vehicle chassis they did everything from tanks to self-propelled artillery on that well they had a bunch of those so they just made wood mock-ups wooden fiberglass mock-ups of t-72 soviet tanks 
And in the movie, I mean, if you're like a weirdo model maker like me, it's like, well, I know that those tracks and wheel configurations aren't right, but the top of the tank looks like a T-72, and they made yeah. that out of wood and fiberglass, and that's pretty damn cool. For a movie of this era with this special effects budget, it's like, that is a convincing, like, you know, Russian tank. And the guys were talking about how they had to repaint them constantly and like all the fiberglass and wood was just shaking itself apart <laughs> because it's, you know, it's not steel, but it has looked like steel. And then I guess like FBI agents showed up at one of the special effects places because somebody called and said there were like these guys had Russian tanks out at their place. And they're like, no, these are wood mock-ups for a movie. Those are stories you hear. I don't know if they're true or not, but yeah. it's like it. It's like in the 80s, who was calling the FBI? Like, there's Russian <laughs> tanks out here. And this movie was filmed, by the way, in, like, New Mexico, I think, most of it. Um, so it's like, yeah, who the hell's running around in the wilds of New Mexico? Like, I see a Soviet tank. But you never know. <laughs> it sounds more like an anecdotal story that makes the movie seem cooler. Um, but they did. I think they did a good job mocking up these tanks. Yeah. Like, like I said, even a guy like me who like knows what these tanks actually look like from model building and stuff is like, yeah, that's convincing from a distance. I mean, that looks pretty, pretty cool. Uh, I know like the Dashikas they made up like like they weren't actually those, but, you know, they kind of made them look as much like them as they could. Yeah, they put the big squared um, off like hexagonal uh, barrel mechanism, I'm going to call it. Yeah. Cause I don't know what that does, <laughs> except keep the barrel down so it doesn't rise in the air. <laughs> You know, it was probably the first movie mock-up of a high D, which, you know, isn't very convincing, but at the time was probably you know, okay for what they could do with a flying prop. <laughs> well, yeah, they were like um, French Puma helicopters, and what they had to do was they had to put those wood, because the Heinz were just like the air tanks. So they had the all these rocket pods and machine guns on these wings. They are a very scary weapon at the time. Uh, in Afghanistan, they were devastating until the Stinger missile got introduced. And then, like the Soviet soldiers said, their, their air support, they became cosmonauts because they would fly <laughs> so high in the air that they couldn't really effectively provide ground support. But yeah, Heinz were deadly. You didn't want to deal with them. But of course, you couldn't buy one for any price <laughs> back then. So they had to stick wood mock-ups on these helicopters. They were, they were Pumas which was like a French consortium made those, and they were kind of like utility helicopters. And uh, But I guess according to John Milius, like they got temporary FAA licenses to fly these things. And they said as long as you don't fly them over people or cities because like, we don't know once that prop starts spinning how this thing's going to fly with all that extra wood and stuff on it. Like it's just because they could just shake apart and fall into <laughs> a thousand pieces. We don't, because I don't know if you've ever been near an actual helicopter that runs. I'm sure you have. It's like, yeah. it's just a destructive event. It's like a helicopters are wildly dangerous, destructive things. And if you're near one on the ground when it's taking off and you see all the trees lay down flat and your car starts shaking violently, <laughs> you realize like, oh yeah, let's put wood on this thing and like paint it and see what happens. It's like, yeah, just don't fly it over a city because <laughs> that thing hits the ground. It's going to kill a lot of people. But they did look like scary Russian hind helicopters for the time. Yeah. Considering you had to actually see nowadays, like you would just CG all that crap. Yeah. Uh, but this was like, these like actual, like, yeah, and it doesn't look bad. It looks like a big, scary helicopter. It suspends my disbelief, even though I've built elaborate models of hind helicopters <laughs> and I know they don't have square cockpits. They have kind of the round bulbousy ones, which were weird at the time. Because those were reinforced with titanium so the pilots could see all around 
Like that was considered a cool thing the Russians did. Now what we did with the Apache was we just put a camera monocle over one guy's eye and when he looked around there was a camera that looked around way more efficient than the russian hind <laughs> bulbous but the russians couldn't make a camera that worked right and they definitely couldn't make it uh, an eye thing that would go to the pilot so because the soviet army sucked <laughs> that's the secret of the cold war our enemies were terrible <laughs> Yeah, so they head into town. They see like the the Soviets are rolling in, and so they got just like a, a convoy of just like trucks moving in, APCs, tanks, you know, cargo stuff. Uh, Jed, Matt, and Robert hide their guns and walk into town to like investigate. So this is like where it gets weird. It's like, why don't they just grab them immediately? So apparently, like the city has is operating again, but under severe control. So yeah, uh, they see some people they know, but everyone's like very skittish and not talking to them. Uh, they talk to a girl named Alicia at the general store, and she tells them the KGB are looking for them and Jed. Uh, so this Don't is where they turn learn that. Around. Oh, oh. <laughs> the there's some KGB guy. Yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some agent like up in the upper deck or whatever that they see is like, oh, this is where they would learn that it's the Russians and the Cubans. So like, it's like, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, they're doing fact finding at this point because they have no idea, like. They really yeah. don't have any idea what's going on. They just know <laughs> yeah. people came and shot up the school. Yeah, because, like, I mean, like, when you see trailers for this, like, you know what's going on, so you know that that's what... But you have to put yourself in their minds. It's like, we have no idea. Like, yeah, maybe there's a red star on stuff. We don't know exactly what that means. Yeah. Uh, Is so this the Ruskies or the Democrats from California? <laughs> Who took over Colorado? <laughs> Is this Texas? Is that the Lone Star State? Is that why there's one red star on their vehicle? Yeah, they kind of make people from Colorado seem like a bunch of hicks in this movie, too. And it's like, I don't, I don't I understand mean, that. I mean, hicks are everywhere, so, you know, it's not like a... But. Yeah, I always think of Colorado as, like, rich ski people and lots of, like, dope. That's yeah. what I think of now as Colorado. Yeah, they're like hippies that like guns, so... Yeah. <laughs> They're hippies that can like like they know like they can field strip an AK forty seven, but they're still into like yeah. peace and love. But it's like it's yeah, this cool. They, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they own a vegan bakery, but they also you know have a, a fully automatic AK forty seven. They want a flamethrower. <laughs> Everyone does. Oh yeah, there's uh, uh, um um, I want to talk for a little bit about some supplemental material that could enhance your viewing of. Uh, Red Dawn, because I'm going to start referencing this as we go into this visit to town more. The Rift Tracks uh, Red Dawn is one of the funniest things you'll ever hear. Because <laughs> I remember me and my son watched it when he was like 12 with the Rift Tracks playing. And, and I'm going to reference that quite a bit because it's like one of the best things Rift Tracks has done. <laughs> uh, just because it's like the Rift Tracks for Red Dawn is almost like the first airplane movie. It's like, how are they generating jokes that rapidly? <laughs> this is, like, hilarious. There's almost no dead air in this. Uh, so check that out. If you can find that. I don't know if there's Rift Tracks still, because I bought it. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so just check that out. And if not, it's an MP3, so... That's what I did. I bought the MP3 from Rift Tracks. But well, no, I'm just saying it's easy data to transfer, so it's out there if you want it. <laughs> yeah, get it. Find it. <laughs> get it in your skull however you got to uh so we cut to the re-education camp jen and the gang are like going to see what they're doing to people they rounded up 
So they go asking for their dads. So Aaron Dean Santon shows up. He's he's Jed and Matt's dad, Mr. Eckhart. Uh, he tells them to not say anything. Uh, and then he's like, I was hard on you for a reason. He also says, like, one way or another, we're all gone. <laughs> Uh, they also like learned that their mom is probably dead. He just kind of like doesn't say about it. So, he, well, I guess we know what that means. He also tells him to stop crying. Don't cry. In this movie, <laughs> everyone is admonished not to cry. Yes, but they still all cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could never imagine being that person when somebody is like, because I've been around, and I believe me, I'm uncomfortable around people's emotions. I'm not saying like I share them, but I would never tell someone who like got bad news, "Hey, dude, don't cry." It's like that is so <laughs> weird. <laughs> but you know, there's like, I mean, there's got to be like John Wayne movies or something where somebody said, "Don't cry," and then they didn't cry, and the whole point of that was like, "See, now you're a man by the end of the movie." But that is not what happens here. <laughs> no. <laughs> Save that and use it for murders. Like, huh? Then more people will cry. Wait, what? <laughs> the cycle of crying never ends. That's life. That's what the Buddha teaches us, damn it. But it's almost like John Millius was unintentionally like making a point about toxic masculinity before that was like, a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's always been with us. We just didn't yeah, yeah. compartmentalize it. Uh, Jad says, Dad, I love you. And he's like, I know, I know you do, son. I love you, too. <laughs> Uh, and then as they're walking away, he just kind of spouts up with energy like, boys, avenge me! <laughs> avenge me! Me and Grayson used to do that all the time after watching <laughs> that on Rift Tracks. Because he'd like, go be driving. He's like, okay, I'm going to school now. This is when he started driving. And he'd be like, avenge me! You know, just... <laughs> That's how we sent him off to school because that's what they said in Rift Tracks. Uh... Uh, then we cut to next morning. Jed, Matt, and Robert go to Mr. Mason's house. Who I don't know. How, he's just a guy they know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the relationship is to everybody. Uh, it sounds like in this town, everyone's kind of related. It's one of yeah. those places. Uh, Mr. Mason tells them about like free the Free America Zone, which we never see it or know what it is. It's just mentioned. Yeah, well, other than they aren't in it. <laughs> What's in the Free uh, America Zone? It's Ronald Reagan and a few dozen patriots. <laughs> Taking back the country. Uh, he gives them a radio that's hidden in an ice, a block of ice, which I'm just looking at that because he didn't like cover it in anything. It's like, that you, that radio's useless. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that too, and I was like, what is this, like a Utah radio? Some kind of technology we didn't know about now? That, But, you know, I, I know practically they had to do that so that people could see like, oh, he hid it in a block of ice, that's smart. But you also have to see what it is, that it's a radio. But when you see that it's a radio, it's like, it's not protected by anything. I think it would have been cool if he just handed him a Stouffer's frozen lasagna. Like, <laughs> here we go, take this. You didn't see what was in it? And he's like, yeah, cool. If no context was ever given. People would be talking about it forever. What does the lasagna scene mean? <laughs> Remember the lasagna scene from Red Dawn? But, you know, nobody was doing uh, this for humor. <laughs> yeah. For the funnies. Robert learns that his dad was shot and killed. He was the he owned the gas station. Uh, he was killed for aiding the gorillas, which is them. Yeah, <laughs> actually not yet. So they aren't considered gorillas yet. So he was also probably handing guns off to any American he knew or whatever. Yeah, any any freedom loving American. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Mr. Mason has a couple of granddaughters he has hidden away. This is Jennifer Grey and Leah Thompson. Yeah, it's weird. I forgot. Like, oh, they're both in this. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the Soviets tried to rape them. That's what's inferred. Uh, so they send the girls off with Jed and them, and they, they give them horses, ammo, and food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, again, they're just, like, running through this food, man. Yeah, these guys are eating. Like, it's, it's like, you're going to eat the horses, too? Like, how, how much are you guys eating? It's literally been two days. They ate a truck full of food, yeah. a deer. <laughs> we just ate an elk. It's like, yeah, this hiding in the woods. These guys are getting fat. It's really working out. <laughs> we, we packed you some sadness bacon. What's it called like in the, German? Uh, oh, it's just line of flesh. The grief bacon, yeah. We cut the night. They're back at camp listening to the radio. So that's the radio they got in the block of ice. There's... There's a bunch of code words, but also everything seems blink and, and everyone's crying. I th- this is to all the freedom fighters out there. And it, and it was always like, the chair is against the wall. The chair <laughs> is against the wall. Like they're giving code, like it's real yeah. World War II type stuff. Uh, I forget. I think this might be where he's like, hmm, I'm not sure if this is the point. I think because everyone's crying, this is like, don't, don't cry. Turn it into something else. But that might be later on. I'm not sure. That's a big thing. Yeah, I'm telling people not to cry and they're going to cry. <laughs> we cut to day. Daryl and Danny spot some Soviets on a truck, and then we cut to the Soviets. They're like sightseeing in the forest. Uh, one of the guys translates the sign for the group, and they're like, "Ah, good job." I think it's the yeah, it's one of the the Cuban guys because he normally speaks Spanish, so he's translating into Russian for them. I think that's what's yeah. going on. So he's trilingual. He's reading Russian translating or translating reading english translating into russian but he's speaking spanish also yeah we would call that a genius in america <laughs> we'd be vaguely suspicious of that person he speaks how many languages <laughs> what side are you on? Yeah, who are you aligned with <laughs> who's got their arm around you uh they're taking photos with each other in the photos you, you see the kids are like hiding among the rocks like it's a cool like just like cut to the other side you see it, yeah that's like, a oh, cool scene it's <laughs> like these guys are yeah. having fun and taking pictures because the one guy's like at least a foot and a half taller than the other two so yeah they're like trying to look serious with their ak's and then yeah you like just cut and these kids are like hiding on the rocks like this you know they're trying not to move because again like uh, having you know basically knowing this movie as a trailer and not over analyzing it like I like always like oh yeah they're always gorillas and freedom fighters and then here they're they're not yet they're just hiding <laughs> they're just they're not ag- trying aggressive tourists at this point <laughs> but like they're not trying to kill the Soviets they just don't want to be spotted by them yeah because um, the Soviets will just like hose them down with bullets on sight yeah because you know you gotta have a bad guy. <laughs> So yeah, but yeah, like one of the guys spots like an arrow and he's like, what's going on here? It's plastic or whatever. Uh, and then like, yeah, because at first they say is like, is this an Indian arrow or something? Yeah. If you have, you can see the subtitles. They say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah, guy was like, oh, is this like a native? Yeah. Is this an Indian arrow? It's like, no, you idiots. Plastic. Yeah. Uh, so then the end of one of the, the Soviets spot them. And so. They start yelling at them as they're like trying to run away and then they start shooting at them then one of the kids shoots one of the soviets with an arrow which like it's very like unceremonious because he's just like ah 
ah! He's like trying to crawl away on his knees. It's like, oh yeah, this is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, well, he shoots him with a broadhead, which is like a yeah. razor blade exploding in your body. Like, <laughs> that guy wouldn't just be like, ah, that guy would be in horrible pain if he didn't die oh, immediately. Yeah. His lungs would be filling with blood. But it's just like here, it's just the way it's it's almost like comical, even though he's like, he's, you know how bad that would be. Like, it's like, because, <laughs> um, well, you know, all they have is a bow and arrow to defend themselves. And then Tony grabs like the, a loose AK and then she just like clumsily shoots what I call Borat to death. He's like the Russian tall Russian guy. Yeah. She <laughs> um, like shoots him while falling backwards. It's like really weird and odd. It's how I imagine like if I ever had to shoot one is like, it would probably be something like this where I'd be really yeah. awkward. And especially if you've never fired an automatic weapon before, which really, let's be honest, I haven't. Uh, it was like, oh, that's scary and powerful. And it's like, yeah. it's kicking all around. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a heavy. I mean, it's a technically medium sized bullet, but still a heavy bullet. Oh, but you know, there seems to be a lot of child soldiers out there with AKs that don't have a lot of problem with it. But you know, that's practice. So. Well, if you're a ninety pound woman from America, like that would be <laughs> really hard to hang on to. A shootout breaks out with all the Soviets. All the Soviets get shot. One, like two of them, are dead. One makes it back to the to the car, uh, and says something on the radio. Then Jed points a gun in his face, and they cut away. Uh, and you hear the gunshot. Yeah, now that guy got blasted in the chest with a shotgun before he goes back <laughs> to the car because he's almost. Oh, like, I thought. Oh, no, I thought the. I thought Robert just killed one of the other guys with a shotgun. And oh, this, th this guy got hit with a shotgun too. Oh, okay. Because because remember, like, because uh, he saws down the shotgun after this. Yeah. Yeah. But before this, this is like a fully linked barreled shotgun. And he just shoots this guy, and this guy's like, he just takes off running back to the car. He doesn't realize that he's, like, dying until he yeah. like, starts stumbling towards the car. Because some people thought that scene was like, oh, that's goofy and overacted. It's like, no, he didn't know he was dead yet. <laughs> he hadn't bled out <laughs> entirely because he was just scared because this loud explosion happened. He's like, what's going on? But even though, like, they cut away to hear you hear the gunshot, it seems like everyone's sad that they had, that, like jed had to kill somebody even though they just all killed somebody it was kind of weird <laughs> well jed didn't kill a guy that was actively trying to kill him he yeah, nobody he, nobody else really had to look somebody in the eye as they shot yeah him in the no face. he and, and jed's <laughs> using like a like a winchester revolver like an old cowboy revolver yeah which is like well that's just jingoism right there but <laughs> so yeah that was it was kind of a weird scene because the russian guy didn't want to die either because he like looked away at the last yeah. minute, like he didn't want to, you know, look at the barrel of the gun. So it was it. <laughs> for the '80s for this kind of movie. It was actually a good scene because it would be horrible just to, like have to walk up and shoot someone like that. <laughs> they're, they're gonna. You could have just waited. Like you could have just shot the radio and just okay, this guy's gonna bleed out and like just sit there with your watch. Like come on, <laughs> come on, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason like uh like well, these infantry guys end up having like way more like mental issues because of warfare what it, what it does to them because they have to shoot people they see up close yeah that'd be super f***ed up to do uh, that. and but uh, artillery people generally don't have that problem because they don't see the hundreds of people they kill they just walk up to the dead bodies like huh that's interesting all these people die <laughs> yeah man to man like the three guys that are like <laughs> handing off those shells oh they're <laughs> killing way more people <laughs> yes yes sometimes hundreds I, I, <laughs> yeah i don't know how statistics now but like back when i read this on killing book which 
is still a good book, even though the author is a complete asshole now. But it's still oh, a, Colonel, what's his name? Yeah, the majority of killing and warfare is done by artillery and not in like close combat with rifles and stuff like that. Even though that's what you think is going on. Even in all wars, even like in World yeah. War Two and World War One, yeah. is just like soften them up with the artillery and then go in. Yeah, it's it's almost like a ten to one thing. It's like ten people are killed by artillery to one person killed by a rifle fire. So it's uh, it's pretty. It's, well, imagine the bomber guys in World War Two, <laughs> especially like the Allied bomber guys. Like, oh, these are just cities full of people. Like. Yeah. I mean, we have to destroy them because they put, like, the Messerschmitt... But Messerschmitt's... they're far enough away, you just tell them, like, that's a factory. Yeah, that's <laughs> the Messerschmitt plant. Oh, apparently that was a college we just bought. Why can't you tell? It's all the flack makes it hard to see. <laughs> yeah, it can't be a college who puts anti-air around a college. Yeah. Well, that's what the Russians did, like, in... They actually thought that was a deterrent, like, in the 50s. It's like, oh, we're going to build, like, the tank factory and put, like, silos for nuclear missiles in our cities because you know the allies kind of lamented that bombing in world war ii and it's like we were drawing up our plans it's like oh they're doing that okay well we'll use five nuclear bombs instead of three to make sure we get it because you know we can't target it that accurately and the russians were horrified like there was a city called um it's a city where uh, ballet was like the russian tradition of ballet was created i think it was called orel and they had like one munitions plant there that made i don't know they wasn't nuclear stuff it was like bullets or whatever let's say and they found out after the end of the cold war it's like how many nuclear weapons did you have targeted towards like one of our cultural centers like oh five it's like why five it's like well you had a munitions plant there we had to make sure to destroy it and maybe the first one wouldn't go off or the second one would miss or you know so we like targeted and it was a city of like ten thousand people but because they had one bullet plant there, they literally would have just been like annihilated, like incinerated <laughs> off the face of the earth. And it's like, yeah, don't put your munitions plants, you know, right in the middle. Of, like the, we didn't put like the nuclear bomb plant in New York City for a reason, <laughs> even though New York City was targeted by over. Oh, I mean, they don't exactly. I, I, I heard up to 32 warheads were aimed at New York City because you destroy the world center of commerce. You just destroy like a large part of our government. Like there's so many reasons New York's f***ed, but yeah. it's it's still like 32. And in the multi megaton range, you guys are insane like that. <laughs> that place would be deader than the surface of the moon. And it's like, well, you know, because the Russian missiles could be even into the 80s could be off by as much as a kilometer. Like that's how poorly targeted they were. Anyway, we're getting off subject here, but uh, we cut to Robert sawing off the barrel of a shotgun. Uh, he says, <laughs> "says killing is good," because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're asking, "like, what's it like to kill a guy?" He's like, "Killing is good." Yeah, which is like, yeah, Robert is just this tragic character throughout. It's not like, oh, he became brave. It's like, no, he became psychotic to survive. Yeah. He's, he's not a glorious person. <laughs> it's like, do you like doing this? No, but yes. <laughs> why, why do you like killing people? Because it enables me to feel for a few seconds before I got to shut that <laughs> down. And it's like, wow, does this, I don't know. I've never had these experiences, but it's like, does this really happen to people? I guess it does. Uh, well, and especially like insurgent type warfare where you're yeah. the insurgent. Like there's no like cafe you go to like oh well the day's <laughs> fighting is done time to like drink tequila and play call of duty it's like no these guys never that's like why 
the Afghanis and the and the Viet Cong. It's like, well, they're so insane. They're, they're, the fighters are like crazy. It's like, yeah, they never stop. They don't. <laughs> there's no R and R. Like they remember that in yeah. Apocalypse Now. It was like they don't fly in the steaks and beer for Charlie. Like <laughs> no, they don't get that. Charlie don't surf. Charlie don't surf. <laughs> what would they say R and R for Charlie was? It's like a little rat meat, you know, and they're back in action. Like, yeah, those guys which are crazy. Is, which I'm not sure how much like they knew. I mean, they knew the Afghan the Afghan war was going on at the time, but I'm not sure like the details they knew because this is very much basically the Afghan war, but what if America? <laughs> oh, I guarantee you details got filled. I, I'm surprised like some of our main, our heroes from Charlie Wilson's war, like names didn't appear in the credits of this movie because <laughs> I guarantee you information filtered out. So it was probably a lot of like right-wing CIA guys that, that John Milius was their hero. It's like, give him what you can yeah, give yeah. him so we don't go to prison, but make him, you know, make this into like, an Afghan war propaganda film. Well, I mean, before this movie got released, it got screened. They had a screening with a bunch of like veterans and like Alexander Haig and all those people. Ronald Reagan watched this, I yeah, believe. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, like a Nancy, bunch of, this like, is a dream come true. Well, <laughs> 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 yeah, a lot of the veterans like thanked John for this movie because like, ah, you finally get it. Which isn't necessarily like that he glorified people. It's like, yeah, this is what it takes to fight a war. <laughs> yeah, you're always looking for food. <laughs> Uh, Matt wants Erica to do the dishes, and so she yells at him, and she's and he's like, "Hey, what's up her ass?" And she flips out about that, so that presumes that she, that's what the the or attempted rape was about, and and then she says she'll kill him, and so then Matt starts doing the dishes, um, which was like super sexist on his part. Is like, do something useful, do these dishes, and it's like. These two chicks just helped you kill a bunch of Russians. Like you're all <laughs> kind of co-equal. Like they weren't yeah. at camp like feeding babies like they were stabbing these guys or shooting them or whatever uh it's actually like also this is where i remember like because i think there's something because these two are paired together or not well not these two because this is erica so that's leah thompson but uh jennifer gray and charlie sheen were paired together in ferris bueller's day off and also um Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, of course, were paired together in Dirty Dancing. So. Yeah, it was so weird to watch this movie again because I hadn't seen it, and it's like, oh my god, this is the class <laughs> reunion of every favorite, you know, every other movie from the eighties. And of course, Leah Thompson went on to do Back to the Future and a bunch of other stuff too. So, yeah, the people that are uh, still alive, they're they're in their sixties now, which <laughs> really makes you feel old. Yeah. It's like these uh, people will be collecting social security in a few years. Uh, we cut to uh, Colonel Bella. He's he's like the Cuban colonel. He wants the gorillas brought out and killed. Uh, well, at least that's what I infer on it. Because again, I didn't get the subtitles for this. But I'm I, I'm thinking he's from the way he was poking the, the other guy. guy's chest and yelling in yeah. Spanish. He wanted somebody dead. You know. <laughs> Uh, we cut to Bella's meeting the mayor, this is Lane Smith. He's like a character actor. I must know him as like Coach Bombay from Mighty Ducks, yeah. but he's been in a bunch of things. I remember this guy from all kinds of stuff, yeah. <laughs> uh, Daryl is his son, who's like, you know, the class president. Uh, mayor Bates is trying to convince Bella that his son isn't violent. Like, oh, he's a leader, but he doesn't have a violent bone in his body. Yeah. Yeah, I like here that also like they they the the Soviets refer to the Boy Scouts as a paramilitary organization. Yep, it is. <laughs> Uh, we cut to day because yeah, they got um, your like anti-communist merit badge 
<laughs> uh, you, you could learn, like, if you became an Eagle Scout, they taught you, like, garate. All right. <laughs> well, we could ask Dad about that. Dad was, like, a Eagle Scout or something. I was, like, oh, what they call a Life Scout, which is the next one down. So, yeah, it was all boring. Something I like the Scouts uh, you could be from, uh, remember, uh, Welcome to Night Vale, the, the, like, PBS radio thing about the crazy sci-fi town. Oh, you could be, like, sorry. an Eternal Scout. Uh, dark scout, and, you know, just like you had strange necromonic powers or whatever. <laughs> like, I want to be an eternal scout. <laughs> oh. uh, we cut the day, and Americans are being forced to dig graves for Soviet casualties. Uh, we see Matt's hiding in the grass, like scouting. <laughs> then they line up all the Americans at, at a pit, so it's like, oh, all these people are about to all be shot. And, and I knew it was bullshit because. They had them dig the graves, and they put the coffins in, but they didn't cover them. It's like, they're not going to shoot them now. They're going to wait till they cover those graves and then shoot them, because they're not covering the Soviet graves and then covering these people's graves. You never get the communists to do that in one day. That's against their contract. Uh, some of the Americans start singing America the Beautiful as they're lined up to be shot. Uh, they're gunned down with like heavy caliber machine. It's like all mounted guns on tanks and APCs, which those are all like 50 cows. Yeah, and these people just like, oh, and they fall over. It's like, no, they'd be blown to bits. Like their arms and legs would be coming off. Firing with a 12.7 you know, millimeter <laughs> cannon. Uh, Matt sees his dad killed, so he's immediately, you know, but, you know, just emotional after that. Uh, Mayor Bates is there. He's like sickened by it, but he's like, well, there's nothing I can do. Like, <laughs> and there isn't, but you know, what's he going to like defiantly join in as he's just killed in the middle of the field? Nobody knows about Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No one's like, I'm going to be gunned down in a field where no one will know where I'm buried. That's going to be my stand. Nope, <laughs> nobody does that. Oh, we cut. Oh, yeah. This is where we cut to. Jed tells everyone to not cry because you know he learns that his dad dies. So he's like, turn it into something else. It's like, turn that crying into like you know fighting the rush. <laughs> uh, nobody has an accent. I just do that for the you know. The dialogue uh, sounds like it should be delivered in an accent. Yes, the like the stupid man voice, like <laughs> stop crying. <laughs> like, um. Don't be a pussy. Dads die. You know, what are you going to do? (laughs) We come into this world like no one, it ain't going to be forever. We're going to go sometimes. Like everyone says all this stuff until they find out they have cancer. It's like, why would God do this to me? It's like, well, what the hell do you think was going to happen? Dad died so we could have a fever to kill more Ruskies. Yeah. (laughs) This is a gift from our father that he was assassinated by Russia. This is dad's gift of rage. Um, all those beatings are going to pay off now this is what good parenting is about remember he said avenge me he knew uh and also at this point robert is just fully turned into an emotionless killer so he can he's fine with killing. yeah robert's like ready he's primed he's he's like if he lives through this he is going to become like the main character in american psycho <laughs> uh, we got to the next day. The a Soviet tank parks at a gas station. Tony pulls up and they like sexually assault her and try to run after her. She gets away. Uh, yeah, it's one of the coolest scenes of the movie. I always <laughs> wanted to do this. 
they take her baskets, which, you know, they're like, hey, we want food, too. So apparently everyone's struggling. For everyone's struggling. Remember, the wheat harvest failed in Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently Russia stole all of Cuba's food. Yeah. <laughs> all their bananas or whatever. So they take her basket and put it in the tank, which has a bomb in it. So that blows up and they chase her off. They chase her when the bomb goes off. And then as they're chasing her in the field, Jed and gang pop up out of the ground. They kill the whole tank. It's, it's really cool. They almost like didn't choreograph it right because the guys are like halfway past them. Like these yeah. guys are popping up. They're almost having to shoot sideways. It's like, whoa, you're going <laughs> to blast your own guy. Your, your field of fire is a little f***ed up there. But you know, <laughs> yeah, they're kids. You know what they know about yeah. warfare. So. I don't know anything about it either. I just, you know, I've just read books. Then we got to like more Americans are be, uh, about to be executed, but then Jen and the gang show up and kill the Soviets. This is where Aardvark yells Wolverines after they're a school mascot. So yeah, uh, we have more m montage of the Wolverines ambushing Soviets. Uh, they start leaving like spray paint tags to saying Wolverine, so they know it is. So you know they're basically starting a fear campaign. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then they come to. Uh, Colonel Bella, who like looks over the casualties and he's confused how they can't kill a bunch of kids, or do they know it's a bunch of kids? Um, I now he well, it's just it's just basically like how how are these like hill people or the are these like country people doing this to us? It's like yeah, yeah. there must be something large. It's always uh, they're trying to make it like something larger because the Soviet yeah. hierarchy is upset that we're not like quelling this and their people are being killed and. It's like, it must be bigger. It can't just be these people. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, your guys are like obvious buffoons and they're doing <laughs> like, yeah, let's just slaughter these people's family members. It's like, why are they fighting back? Damn it. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Tony walks out of some business and she gets hit on and then she quickly walks away. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get, I'll bring my friend. And he's like, ah, oh, cool. <laughs> and he stands there. Then <laughs> this is the friendship center. It gets blown up. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, then we cut to, there's like streaks of like, uh, from what they call those jet streaks in the sky or whatever. Uh, contrails? You yeah, you see a bunch of contrails. An explosion be can be heard, and then Erica follows it, and then she finds an ejected American pilot here played by Powers Booth, who's Andy. Yep. Lieutenant <laughs> Colonel Andrew something. <laughs> I just have him listed as Andy here. That's what he is. Powers Booth, your your guide to the apocalypse. <laughs> we last saw an extreme prejudice, which was also co or was a story by credit by John Milius. So he used Powers Booth a, a few times. She asked him like, "What the what's the capital of Texas?" Thinking like he might be a plant, and he says like uh, Austin, and then she says, "No, it's Houston." <laughs> he just like like like, "Hey, I'm tired, you idiot." Yeah. <laughs> The, then they cut to like the, them. They're on a fire, and he tells them that he's on. He he flew F fifteen Eagles. He says something about like, "Why'd you get shot down?" And he's like, "Well, I shot down four out of the five that were chasing me." So, apparently, which actually like, as good as the F fifteen Eagle is is actually that's a realistic number. Like, the, 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 yeah. it's like the best fighter ever made that no one's ever yeah. heard of. Well, it's like yeah, the 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 Tomcat got all the the glory and and Top Gun, but the yeah, the F fifteen, I believe, I don't know, maybe it's changed now because it's in all different countries now because it's like a used an old plane now, but like in its combat record, basically, it's never been shot down. Yeah, um, but I don't know. It you know, there's only so much combat it's been in. So <laughs> no, um, it's the best plane in the world. Like it's it's shot down so many things and. 
I think the Israelis well, like I still think that's their main fighter. Yeah, well, I mean, they're but all the modern fighters could run circles around it, but you know, for its time and existence as a main plane, it was one of the best fighters in the world. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I mean, the modern and, fighters that are actually in service. You mean like all fifty of them? Yeah, they could probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's that, that vectored thrusting which could literally make them run circles around these planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They can sh- they can fly they can fly standing up and just shoot up the belly. <laughs> These F-15s can't do that. <laughs> Andy tells them how like the Soviets invaded through like commercial jets, which I guess they said that this this is what they did in Afghanistan, uh, and then they coordinated nuke strikes. Uh, but now it's a conventional war, so everyone's agreed to not shoot nukes. Yeah. Uh, they also said apparently China was on their side because like. You know, NATO's been dissolved, so nobody Europe's not involved. They're not going to help out America, but apparently China was on our side, and they got nuked because he said like 600 million Chinamen were going to help us out, but like they're having a little trouble. He's like, wasn't there a billion? He's like, there was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. presumably that's a nuke strike. We actually don't know. Maybe they conventionally killed half a billion people. No, you can only you can only get those numbers with. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, I think over. Because one million's mega death, I think a hundred million's what you call giga death. That's really hard to attain conventionally. I mean, that's a lot of bullets. So, yeah. So our only allies in the in the universe of Red Dawn are the UK and China. And they said UK is about to fall too. So. Yeah, yeah. Even so though I they, I don't, I don't know how that would happen because at that time in Thatcher's UK they had over five hundred nuclear weapons. <laughs> like you're not, yeah, inv- but- you're not invading the UK for the same reason you're not invading the United States. It's similar dynamic. It's, yeah. it's a nightmare to land troops there. <laughs> we cut to Robert wakes up, Andy because they're gonna go shoot up an armored column. He's like, oh yeah, I guess that's what we do. <laughs> Yeah, Powers Booth like performance in this is amazingly low key and fun. It's yeah. like you can tell he was the funnest guy on the set. It's <laughs> like I'm just enjoying the shit out of this. And then they cut to them shooting up an armor column like they said they would. And we cut the night. Andy talks about like the horrors elsewhere. Like, and he's here. He's talking to Robert. He's like, "All that hate's gonna burn you up, kid." And he's like, "It keeps me warm." <laughs> Uh, like apparently he says like everyone else like everyone's starving so he's like you know them eating beans is a is a luxury that they don't know they have yeah because they said like what do you say like in phoenix or whatever they slit your uh slit your throat to have that spoonful of beans and like the funeral pyres at night light up the skies and it's like (laughs) oh yeah and that's actually like real stuff because if you're in a i've read all these books about this different scenarios and like if you're not in the Midwest in America, and there is some kind of like quasi World War Three slash nuclear type invasion or whatever, you're gonna see people starve to death in this country very quickly because where they don't produce food. Because if you live in the South, you're screwed because all the food gets trucked down there unless it's like chicken farms and hog farms and stuff. If you live in the cities, you're screwed because like once the food stops showing up, that's it. Uh, so yeah, anywhere that's not like the Midwest, like the West or the West coast or California, like, or Texas is like, there's no food going on there. <laughs> and there's also no water cause it's not being pumped in, in that situation either. 
Yeah. That's the other thing. Like Cal like Los Angeles would be a ghost town in two weeks. <laughs> People would just start walking east because there's no water being pumped in. Uh we cut to Andy stands before like a makeshift monument to like their lost parents or everybody know they it's just a rock they carved the names in. Erica does some weird flower thing with Andy where she keeps putting like a flower in his pocket. And apparently Erica's like nearly mute now or whatever. I don't know, they kind of say that. It's like Matt's like, ah, she doesn't talk anymore. It's like, well, she's not talking to you anymore, but yeah. Because you just uh, want her to do the dishes, and you're like, make me a sandwich, bitch, every time you see her. It's like, yeah, she's not talking to you, because you're an asshole. You're acting like Charlie Sheen. You're, like, you're just tiger blood, and you know that's why she doesn't like you. Uh, Andy has a model set up where they're planning an attack, and then after he's done talking, they're like, what's a flank and stuff like that? He just like puts his head in his hands like, oh. yeah. <laughs> what's a defilade what's a flank like huh <laughs> uh cut to them carrying out the attack they uh they start passing off rifles to prisoners they free there's this really awkward <laughs> moment where like andy blows up a soviet pilot in his plane and it's like he throws like i don't know like three things of explosives in the plane but then he like flips them off and throws a grenade in and the guy's just looking forward and like not staring at him yeah like, it's really awkward and then the plane blows up and he dies <laughs> And these are obvious, like, wood mock-ups of planes, because when one of them explodes, it just, like, flips it, like, cuts in <laughs> half, and the front of it just falls down, like, perfectly. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's where the glue failed. Then we got to morning. There's more Bella being angry, and the Soviets are, like, executing people. Uh, then we cut to the Wolverines are playing football. Here, Erica and Andy, like, flirt a little bit, and they, like, while he tells stories of his wife that he doesn't know whether she's alive or not. Yeah, interesting that there's this is a completely sexless movie. Although it seemed like there would be like that would be a thing with kids like caught out in the wood and all. Of yeah, I mean, yeah. I kind of like that in this situation yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's like because I try to imagine myself as like, okay, what if I was 18 in the woods? It's like, ooh, there's chicks here, but it's like, oh yeah, I just blew some guy's brains out of the back <laughs> of his skull. I don't think I'm gonna be all sexed up like <laughs> I am just gonna sit there and quietly eat beans and be like, am I going to hell? I, this is not what they taught me in church. It's gonna happen. I'm just eating these beans. Make me a sandwich, bitch. Um, <laughs> uh, cut to the Wolverines are at Mr. Mason's house again. He tells them rumors that the like special forces might get sent in spring. Then we cut to it's like it's winter, so spring's pretty far off. <laughs> Well, I guess it's like four months off or whatever. Um, but yeah. in terms of the amount of food these people are going to have to eat, it's going to be, it yeah. might as well be two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Wolverine spot U.S. planes bombing Soviet positions. There's lots of really big explosions here. It looks really cool. <laughs> Very um, apocalypse now, like those those yeah, line yeah. explosions that they do. It's supposed yeah. to represent napalm or something. Yeah. Yeah. Andy tries to convince uh, Jed that like his war is over and like, I think I missed a point here where it seems like they're trying to get Andy back to like free America or something. And that's what they're doing. And he's like trying to convince Jed to come with him so that like, you know, like, Hey, you've done enough fighting. Your war's over, but I don't, I think I'm going to miss something here. I'm not no, sure. No, that, that is what they're, well, they're, he's an F 15 pilot. So yeah. they're trying to get him back. Cause they obviously need the guy with those kind yeah. of skills, but he's like convincing them. It's like, no, don't, I don't just want to take the two girls with me and the one guy. It's like, you should all come with me. Like you've done enough. This is, you know, wait till the spring offensive or whatever. You know, I don't think he says it like that, but it's basically like, you're going to die here. If you keep doing this, you're, this is not yeah. a winnable situation for you. And Jed just won't. He's just like, 
resting on pride like no this is what i'm supposed to do and it's like you're just gonna die stupid and or you're gonna die for stupid reasons like this isn't really like super effective this isn't changing the course of the war uh, which he's right in the end it's like yeah this guy was right and then a russian tank rolls up and the wolverines kind of get caught in a crossfire between a u.s tank and a russian tank and they're like in a mound just in front of the tank so the tank can't see them but when the cannon goes off it's like that's very loud and and cause you know makes and makes all the kids scared and stuff because that would be and they're also the u.s tank is returning fire not knowing you're there because they're in camouflage yeah <laughs> oh that that abrams good. tank they had returning that was also another wood mock-up they made of an abrams they yeah. couldn't get an actual Abrams. They tried because <laughs> uh, they usually like the National Guard or whatever. Like, yeah, we could get. Well, they didn't, National Guard didn't have any at that time. So yeah. they had the, what did the guy say? They had like the patent tanks or whatever. But uh, yeah, so yeah, they couldn't get an Abrams. But the Abrams look like in the 80s, like when those came out, those look like future vehicles because they were all yeah. angular and weird. And it's like, oh, that looks like <laughs> something from science fiction. So yeah, they mocked one up for, for this scene. Yeah, so yeah, some of the kids start freaking out and the cannon fire goes off like right in front of them. Uh, and he starts like taking on the tank. So he's like crawling up there, like shooting in, trying to drop grenades in. Uh, Ardvark gets up there too. He gets shot to death and he just like body hangs on the, the turret. On yeah, the, the turret's cannon. rotating and this guy's body's <laughs> hanging off it because another tank pulls up and the, the, the top gunner or whatever they call those guys are shooting with a machine gun at the people attacking the other tank. Yeah. And this is also the first time one of the Wolverines has been killed. So this is like, you know, things aren't going well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Andy gets hit by grenade shrapnel that one of the, the tank threw outside and popped back into the tank. Uh, so he's dying. So he pops red smoke so that the U.S. Army tank can, like, hit the tank he's on. Uh, and so, yeah, that tank gets blown up. And so Andy's dead. <laughs> uh and then we cut to like yeah, they like they get away from there, and they cut to we cut to Erica cries over the death of Andy, saying she she'll never love again. And then Robert kind of consoles her very poorly. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like okay, we'll just it's okay, we'll just do some more killing. It'll be all right. I, I know this sucks right now, but we're gonna kill some more people. That's gonna make you feel better. <laughs> Think about their warm blood running across your hands. You know. <laughs> um he doesn't so like say that the... but it's like basically what he <laughs> yeah. says it's like, might as well uh this is their first setback so like people are kind of like losing their will to fight it's like oh, is this like <laughs> this is also a weird thing because like they're like you know in the middle part here where it's like glorious like this is the glory of war we're all like taking on the russians and nobody gets killed it's like you figured like well at this point like and they've built their own like kind of like mythos you're like well people should be joining them yeah but nobody does because <laughs> yeah, they, they're passing out guns at the refugee or at the re-education camp like they're candy and yeah. it's like just army come on do this kill them all you'd think like 50 people would be in the woods with them at this point like yeah this sucks but you know the education camp sucked worse uh you know and they killed my wife and they shot my kid at the school it's like i'm with you guys no matter you want me to strap like a bandolier of grenades on and run into a building i'll do that you know i got nothing left <laughs> This doesn't happen, uh, which is weird, but which I, I think maybe like they're just keeping it themselves and like, you know, they can barely feed themselves. So they probably don't want yeah. more people because there is a scene that got cut from this movie where like they end up like shooting up a house. They think they're Soviets in and when they go in the house. There's a little girl in there. She's not shot. 
but then they give her some food and then like as they walk away is like i probably should have just killed her because she's just another mouth to feed yeah useless eater <laughs> you know <laughs> start getting real hardcore about stuff so yeah they cut that from the movie it's like yeah it's a bit too hardcore yeah that's that's too dark let me cut to his, uh, his titles just say february the soviets are marching through town some Soviet general shows up to lecture the troops. He explains, like, what a wolverine is. <laughs> Again, this scene was nearly impossible for me to read because I have no subtitles. But, you know, he's given a presentation, explains what a wolverine is. Yeah, it's basically uh, have... an, an angry rodent. That's <laughs> what he says. Uh, and they have, like, the yearbook photos up of all the wolverines, so they think they know who they are. So, um, Which is probably even more of, like, insulting to them like it's a bunch of high school kids they haven't even finished high school like what yeah. do they know why are we being defeated by them <laughs> when in like reality like the the you know the high school like quarterback at that time would have been almost an inch or two taller than anyone in the soviet union <laughs> and would have and just in raw muscle mass would have weighed like 70 pounds more than any it's like oh we shouldn't be ashamed we're being defeated by these people it's it's actually an honor these people are like vikings compared to us because they actually have food here in america so yeah and then without training they use all our weapons against us they're really smart <laughs> Yeah, they only make like yeah. The Wolverines like steal a lot of RPGs and use them pretty extensively on armored vehicles. So like, yeah, they figure that stuff out pretty quickly. So yeah, I love the RPG. By the way, all the RPGs in this movie also mock ups because again, not generally available like they were <laughs> later. Uh, now I think everyone has one. I have one right over here. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, the RPGs in this movie are kind of funny because they're like um, as a practical effect because they're like. Uh, like Estes rocket kits you build as a kid because they always seem to fire in a straight line and they're really slow. When you actually see an RPG fired, it's like suddenly it's there and then it isn't. It's like, <laughs> boom, it's like instantly gone. Whereas in this movie, they have a slow like arc. Like you could almost like whack it out of the way with a baseball bat if you were quick enough. Well, in some scenes you can clearly see the line that yeah. they attached a, you know, a, a firecracker to and like or a yeah. rocket to or whatever. Um, which is fine because it's the 80s yeah. and it's the best yeah. they can do <laughs> uh we got to the soviets are out hunting for the wolverines one of them has some sort of tracker uh even though like the soviets have the advantage the wolverines get the upper hand and gun them all down oh these guys are like spetsnaz like this is like russian <laughs> special forces is out yeah. tracking these guys down which you know after the fall of the soviet union what i learned is like yeah this is probably actually how it would go the russians were that bad <laughs> um then and now i mean they're fighting a war right now where they're invading a country right next to them and they're not doing well robert goes around killing all the wounded soldiers with a sawn off shotgun they take one of the soviets hostage and they interrogate him about the tracking device but of course they don't know what he's saying uh then matt figures out how the tracking device works and and the group learns that like daryl sold them out because he got she said he got caught looking for his dad and the soviets made him swallow a tracker yeah and so they're debating. which is like as much as you're eating wouldn't you have crapped that out already you know <laughs> like you're just eating constantly we just ate an elk yesterday uh, they're debating killing the soviet and daryl matt says we're not doing this and then jed can't bring can't bring himself to kill daryl in front of everybody uh well i mean probably couldn't kill him if nobody was there either but 
uh, so then Robert just does it, and then it was like, yeah, I like how Robert's like balls. perfectly willing from the beginning. <laughs> I'll kill him. It's like it's just, I remember when me and my friends were watching this movie like 25 years ago or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's the that's the guy you want on your side. It's like, I'll kill my friend. Hey, no, no sweat. Let's, let me let me just take this shotgun and blow his head right off his shoulders. And it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, sorry about being the end of Act Two. So we have Act Three. Jed goes off alone to cry. He cries a lot. Yeah, <laughs> going against his own rules, and we see that, like you know, this, this being a man thing <laughs> is, you know, the, it's all persona. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always bullshit. I mean, it's never, <laughs> it's never good. You're gonna cry no matter no matter how hard you try. Yeah, you're gonna cry. Uh, we cut the the Wolverines are scouting a convoy. They're about to blow it up, but the convoy has like some supplies fall off the back of the truck, and then Jed s- sends uh, Tony out to look at the supplies because yeah, even, I forgot this movie because I was thinking of it's like a whole time like oh they got to get ambushed. This is probably like you know a ploy because uh, you figure after like oh the, the the sending the Spetsnaz after him with tracking device that's just the first ruse or first lo- wave and trying to get them, but now yeah, it ends up being the you know the supplies are. They just fell off the back of the truck and they're gonna eat it, but they, you know, they they start eating it like they haven't eaten for days. <laughs> yeah, they're like shoving mangoes in their mouth. Like, <laughs> it's like you know the skin of those is toxic, right? <laughs> uh, they go back to to the to the rock with the 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 monument rock with the names on it, and uh, so they eat like they're starving, which they probably are. Tony kind of flirts with Jed by like squeezing the orange juice on top of his head. <laughs> But that's about it. So that's the only thing that indicates, like, oh, they have a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> There's something round he would like to squeeze also. <laughs> uh, they hear a helicopter somewhere nearby, but they don't know where. And then the, the Russian gunships start showing up, and they lay down fire. Tony gets hit, which, again, those helicopters have huge guns on them. So yeah. sure her whole torso would be gone. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, it wouldn't be as fun if the Wolverines were just dragging like the upper half of her body around. <laughs> kind of dark. So they probably let's just assume they're firing BB guns, like high velocity. Uh two more choppers show up. The Wolverines get on a horseback and run away. Uh Tony falls off the horse. Uh Jed grabs her and they kind of just runs her off and near a tree robert faces off of the gunship and he hits it with a rocket but it's still operational it's just kind of like wounded yeah um and then he's kind of standing and they're playing triumphant music so he's like oh did they succeed and then the other gunships go up and they just shoot robert dead yeah (laughs) showing that there is no glory in this whatsoever who's the triumphant Uh, music for out the hind pilots (laughs) Uh, the choppers leave. Uh, Jed stays with a, ty- a dying Tony. She asks him to kill her, but he can't do it. So then she asks for a grenade. So he puts it in her hand and pulls the pin. And, says, and she goes, I'm just going to stay here and listen to the wind for a while. Which is really sad. Uh, yeah, imagine that, then, like this is my last moment on Earth. I'm going to just be holding <laughs> the spoon on a grenade. <laughs> and I hope when I die, like someone flips the, flips my body over and this grenade <laughs> kills him. It's like, you'll be my servants in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. some of the, the, the choppers land and some of the troops get out and they find Tony's body or just one guy. And so her dead body drops a grenade and gets one last kill. Yep. 
they cut to Jed carves Tony's name into the rock too. And I presume Robert's name, but I, I can't remember. Probably presume. <laughs> then we cut to Matt is sending Erica and Danny away. Uh, Cause like Jed and Matt are going to go off on a suicide mission. Yeah. And they, yeah, they say something like uh, somebody's got to tell the tale. So yeah. So uh, Erica and Danny like head off to like where they presumed free America is. Uh, Matt and Jed are wearing like Soviet gear, but just like over top of their normal clothes. So it's like, you know, he's got his Letterman jacket and then like some sort of like, you know, like soldier snowsuit on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And then we cut, we cut to like Bella. Colonel Bella is like, re- he has like a voiceover of a note he wrote to uh, somebody because I actually don't know because I don't get the subtitles here. Uh, I think, I don't, I don't know who, uh, I presume he's like writing to his, his wife or something. Maybe that was kid. to his son. Okay, that makes sense. Basically, this is where he's like conflicted about like basically like you know I was a revolutionary and now I'm on the other side. So I think that's I don't know. You got subtitles? What was going on here? Yeah, I mean he doesn't like the fact that he's like he's like fighting for the the system now. Yeah, it's just the Soviet system, which is one he believed in, but now he sees like oh these guys are just crushing. Uh, you know, uh, normal people just like the Americans did. It's like it's the yeah. same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for the same system. It's just, it's like it's in the name of socialism, but it's not really. And it, I mean, I'm kind of reading more into it than was actually yeah. said, but that's essentially what he's saying. Uh, then the base starts exploding, and the Soviets are taking gunfire. Matt and Jed are running around with guns and rockets and grenades, like you know, like a Kimbo. <laughs> yeah, it's like parkour, uh, like RPG fire and stuff. <laughs> they kill a Soviet general. The back blast like blinds some Soviet bootlicker. <laughs> uh, Matt and Jed like hop on a train, and like a different Soviet general like spots them, so he goes after them. Uh, Matt gets shot and falls off the train. And then Jed pops up out of hiding as the general's looking for him. He's to say, you lose. And then they trade fire and they both get hit, but the general dies. That's uh, Colonel uh, Strelnikov. Uh, <laughs> He's the guy who was going to set everything right. And he was using the Jadomatic submachine gun. <laughs> and the reason he was using that is they couldn't get the uh, actual uh, fast-firing 9mm Polish submachine gun that uh, Russian officers would have had at that time uh, okay because again just not available so you have to <laughs> you know make something else weird that uh, it's like just a fast firing nine millimeter uh and then we have an injured jed carrying i write i probably dead matt although some people indicate that matt's still alive here but i don't think i ever hear him say everything ever again i don't know <laughs> i'm i always assumed he was dead he's just like yeah. taking his brother's body yeah because uh, they're both just like riddled with gunfire at this point so so he's like walking out of the base. Bella spots him. He holds a rifle on him, but seeing that they're just kids, he like lets them go, like seeing himself in them. And so Jed takes Matt, uh, Matt to a park bench where they just presumably die leaning on each other. He, he's like saying, "I'm a real, t- I'm real tired, Matt." <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So I think Matt never says anything ever again. You just see like the the bullet wound on his chest. Yeah, and then they just they just cut to mourning. <laughs> so it's like. Oh, that's it. So I guess they're dead. No glory there. Uh, if Erica and Danny like make it to some place, place and they say they're free, I think like with a question mark. Uh, there's a voiceover of Erica saying uh, she never saw the brothers again. They cut to a painting shot of the Rock of, of Names, and the voiceover says like the war ended. She says 
she comes to visit the rock but nobody else does there's a plaque that says partisan rock in the early days of world war three gorillas mostly children place the names that are lost upon this rock they fought here they fought here alone and gave up their lives so that this nation shall not perish from this earth and that's the end of the movie yep. <laughs> and that's it there's no glory in one <laughs> And this is called by some people the most uh, popular conservative uh, film ever made. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't get that from that. It's like, yeah. oh, it's just pointless, actually. It's just kind of pointless. So, uh, well, like, here, here's John Milius, like, here's a quote just directly from John Milius talking about the movie. He says, uh, it also says that World War Three is unwinnable or, or we're going to win, but the cost is going to be so great. I think it shows the utter futility of, the desperate futility of war at the end of the movie, in spite of all the heroism and valor shown and the reasons and the, uh, revenges on both sides, all that's left is a lonely plaque on some desolate battlefield that nobody goes to. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if it's not actually happening to you, it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't. It, and that's with every war. I mean, I yeah. work with guys every day that fought and, you know, all the most recent American wars, and it's like, yeah, you know what? I just went home and ate dinner with my family every night while that was going on. And it's like, it doesn't really, you know, resonate with me as something because uh, it didn't affect my life directly. And you know, and that's uh, that's kind of the sad truth of it all. It's like it's, and I'm into the history of this stuff, and uh, you know the different conflicts America had and the things that went on in world war two and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's like, it's not something I experienced. So it's just kind of pictures in a book. Yeah. That's, I think that's what people misinterpret about those movies at the middle of it. Yeah. It is kind of right wing jingoistic propaganda, but you have to get to the end of the movie where it wasn't worth anything. <laughs> yeah. And it just ran out of gas. It's like all that, all that piss and vinegar. It's like, yeah, it'll get you so far and then you're dead. And then maybe somebody might it, remember you, you know, but, Yeah, but no, no, nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, because those guys are dead. They didn't get their name written on the rock because they're dead. So, yeah, because I watched the even though like the, two uh, guys destroyed like a Russian division somehow, like <laughs> they would have won like congressional medals of honor in any other time if they had actually pulled that off. But well, I watched the uh, the at the movies of their review of it, and like Siskel like thought like he like. You know, he liked the concept of it and the fantasy of it necessarily. And then, and then uh, Ebert was like, thought it was just like right wing propaganda. Mm -hmm. And it's like, a, it was a, uh, uh, it, an irresponsible movie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Ebert. Yeah. Uh, where like, hand, where you're handing kids guns and like, you know, <laughs> touting the glory of war. It's like, all right, yeah, you missed the point. And uh, in that documentary I watched about Milius, they had like, there's like this British news broadcast talking about this being like the most violent movie ever made. Yeah. Not true. No, not uh, even close. Saying it was, it was an irresponsible propaganda that was just stirring up Russians into thinking America are just war hungry, like morons. <laughs> um, well, yeah. not this movie. Uh, this movie isn't exactly directly only responsible for that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's saying this is a movie as a, you know, a saber rattling movie about like glory of war. And it's like, you didn't watch the movie. Yeah. That's not what this movie's about. Yeah. This guy like, didn't like end up with like the heads of those like 
Cuban kernels on a stick and he's behind the big <laughs> desk with his boots on it smoking a cigar. Like if that's how the movie ended, then that's what this would have been. But no, it's like <laughs> everyone dies and no one's exactly sure why or what was. I mean, you assume at the end of the movie, like America won. Like you, yeah. can, you it's there's a flag flying there. So you can only assume like they won. You don't know what the cost is. It's like, yeah, we won, but like it's a hundred million Americans are dead. Like it's going to take five <laughs> generations to recover what America was in the eighties with when we were joking about the drab screwed up city in Colorado. <laughs> it's like, Oh, it'll take five generations to regain that level of bullshit. <laughs> so it's like, did we win? I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot, you know, lots of things have like done this like the in video game realm you have oh uh world in conflict basically did this but in there it was like yeah i remember that that was about like basically like the national guard fighting off the russians <laughs> which is very interesting um, was that the trailer that used the uh like uh oh it like had the temple of the dog soundtrack or whatever i don't maybe yeah i'm thinking um, the wrong thing but yeah it had a cool trailer i remember that because uh, they're had, flying like, uh, over New York, and then all of a sudden the guy's shooting the guns, and they're jumping out of the helicopter. Because you realize, well, it was also well, it was also Command and Conquer Red Alert two, which had the Soviets invading America as well. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of like, and then uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare two, the original. Um, you know, there's a part where like the Soviets invade, like Washington, and like they blow up, they they do the Joe Buff thing of blowing up. Uh, Using nuclear weapons in the stratosphere as an EMP to knock out the grid, yes, <laughs> but not like not ravaging it with nuclear um, radiation. Yeah, so yeah, it's basically just yeah. So there's a lot of things about, it. and of course, uh, they they released their remake in 2012, starring you know Thor himself. Oh, Liam Hemsworth, or something. Uh, like that. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I, don't know, I can't tell the difference. Which, which technically one of his first like starring roles because they shot it in 2009 and then MGM went bankrupt in 2010 so they couldn't release it by then he'd already been in I think he did Star Trek in 2008 where he played Kirk's father yeah uh so yeah he's in I think yeah, in 2008 he was in the Star Trek movie as Kirk's father where he just you know has a guest role there and then by 2000 uh, 11 they released the thor movie so he's already in the marvel universe and he's already established by then the, the so they filmed this in 2009 the red dawn movie and then finally comes out in 2012 and so by then they're worried about the chinese market because it was so big so the chinese were the bad guys in the red dawn remake and so they did a lot of digital changeover and made it north korea <laughs> instead so they could release it in the chinese market Ah, yeah, the old North Korean invasion of uh, <laughs> continental U.S. There, it's like it's set in, it's set on the coast and like in Washington and stuff. Okay, it's just kind of it's just kind of a joyless exercise of Red Dawn, uh, it, and because it's like a post nine eleven movie, it's just extra serious and not fun. So there's no fantasy, and then when it gets dark and bleak, it's just it doesn't hit at all. I mean, there's some kind of cool action in it because it's directed by a, a stunt man, but. Yeah, it's just not good. It was yeah, shot in uh, Mount Clemens, Michigan. I remember that. Huh, okay. Yeah, that whole town and everything, that's, that's all in Michigan. That's when Michigan was like um, where they were making a bunch of movies because they didn't have to pay taxes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then that all went away because then we had the 
uh, whoever our governor. But yeah, in, in that one, they avoided you know having them shoot up the school. They just have like one day they wake up and the the North Koreans are paratrooping in. And <laughs> I remember there's some like cool initial scenes. Yeah, where it's like basically like those you know those Soviet mainstay. Um, oh, they have the big transport thing. They're, they're like our KC 130s, but they're a lot bigger. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's guys just parachuting, like hundreds of guys parachuting yeah. out of those. And it's like there were some initially cool scenes, but it was dumb. I remember yeah. because these guys go from being like like high school kids and young kids uh, to 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 like you know just randomly like attacking convoys and doing harassing yeah. stuff to like oh we're special forces now and we're infiltrating. <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, that's quite a transition. <laughs> I, I think I've only watched it passively once, like so. It's it's not. Well, it's even short. It's even shorter than the original Red Dawn. It's like an hour and thirty. So like they just they just they just truncate everything even more, and then it doesn't have any kind of message that's worth anything. There's really people don't really have like the the character. About the only thing interesting they do is that they kill off Jed randomly after they have like a big successful mission towards the end of the movie. And then he's just like walking in a hallway and gets shot by a sniper and dies. And then everybody's really sad about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then they like leave and it's supposed to, it's more triumphant. So like, you know, by the end of in the original, basically everybody's dead except for two get let, you know, go off to tell the story that they don't successfully do. And nobody's remembered for it here. They get some, because the way they have America go down is they have basically have some virus that just wipes out everything in america basically emps everything in america yeah um, and so they find some special box that will like undo it or something and so that's supposed to be like you know the the win in our favor after our leader is killed so but yeah it's it's not worth it so no i never uh i didn't care for it i remember i watched it once like oh that's sad <laughs> like this is what they thought would be the thing to replace kind of a like a you know an odd quirky movie from the 80s yeah yeah i don't know like i guess i don't know maybe it was mgm like because if they went bankrupt so maybe they thought like oh this will get us some money but <laughs> apparently it cost them like 67 million dollars and they made like 30 so <laughs> didn't help yeah no this is uh yeah the you know 1984 red dawn is just like a unique product of a time and a place that doesn't exist anymore uh, even even though like the Onion said it was, uh, I remember before nine eleven, the Onion said like this is the official movie of the George uh, W. Bush administration and stuff like because because again this this movie gets uh, anyone who talks about this that has never watched it is is like oh it's this jingoistic conservative like eighties Republican fantasy of America and it's like well if this is anyone's fantasy it's very bleak and hopeless. <laughs> Um, you obviously don't know what you're talking about because it's like, but uh, yeah. I mean, that's how I always remember the movie as like, you know, the jingoistic parts, but like, I never like sat down and analyzed the movie, you know, here, like here with this, we end up doing things like, you know, making sure we know what characters names are and stuff. So if you actually like literally pay attention to a movie, you get more out of it. It turns out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's better to watch it and like understand, uh, you know, what's going on and the character's motivations. Yeah. And then writing your own political <laughs> polemics over it, but it's like you know, seeing like a, a screenshot of it, and the, I know what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, 
again, you can re-edit this movie to be jingoistic nonsense, but that's if as a whole, it's not bad. So. Yeah, it's it's too it's too bleak in its uh, you know final analysis to actually be something uh, you know like that. Because because there were movies like Rambo was like that, like the the second one. Um, you know, like that was. That was what because uh, this movie gets compared. We're gonna send to, one guy in. He's gonna win Vietnam finally for yeah. America. <laughs> if we had only done this, if we weren't such you know <laughs> such cowards, it's like the like coup, like Kennedy, Nixon, those cowards. Okay, uh, Nixon bombed. You know, he he bombed. Uh, you know, North, North Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos more than we bombed Germany in the Second World War. <laughs> but yeah, so that was. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting movie for um for its time and its place. It, it's almost innocent fun by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, because it you know it it was political, but it wasn't. It wasn't what people think it is. I mean, there there's some people though. I've I've like listened to reviews of this movie, like they compare this to like a you know Lenny Riefenstahl film about. The, <laughs> it's like whoa whoa whoa! You're absolutely like going crazy. Like this is not you know, Nazi propaganda or anything, but there's, but again, people just have this set idea in their head about what things are. Well, yeah, when you see, and like I know I do this too with left wings, so, cause I'm like probably more conservative than liberal at this point. So, because I'm just getting older and that's what happens. But I know I, I hear about some stuff on the internet and I'm like, Oh, that's crazy. What these, you know, crazy lefties are doing. It's like, I don't understand the concept or the context of what they're doing or whatever. And I just like, uh, fly off the handle about things. I know I do that too, but this movie's had like over almost 40 years to marinate with people. And it's like, you think you would know what this movie was at this point. <laughs> this isn't like new product. <laughs> yeah. And learning about John Milius is he's, he's a, just an interesting character. So that's, that's fun. There's a, there's a documentary on to be called Milius that kind of covers yeah, uh, well, also I found it like he kind of well, he said he got blacklisted after this movie because you know it's like, oh, it's just political. He thought because everyone thought it was right wing propaganda, so but you know, he still got to make movies like he did like the Rough Riders and stuff after this. But yeah, again, another thing that didn't happen just going the other direction. <laughs> uh, and then like he, you always mentioned Rome, well, he created Rome, so yeah, oh, yeah, Rome, <laughs> the series, the, the HBO series, yeah, uh. But like, yeah, but interesting thing about that is apparently, um, so when uh, oh, what's his name? Is Millich? He did Deadwood. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, I think it's Millich is his last name. So the the way they they set it up is that uh, apparently Milius's accountant had been stealing money from him, so he was broke, and his kid wanted to go to uh, law school. And so he's trying to get like a staff writer job on Deadwood, and and Milich was like, "This is beneath you. You're not going to be a f-ing staff writer. You're one of the most iconic writers in Hollywood." <laughs> uh, and so he just loaned him the money to for for his kid to go to to law school, uh, which and, is, by the and, way, is two hundred and seventy thousand dollars <laughs> at the law school he wanted to go to in the early nine er, early two thousands. So. Keep that in mind, folks. And apparently one day, I, I guess Millich was complaining to somebody. He was like, can you believe this asshole? He paid me back. 
<laughs> so apparently when when milius got the the rome job he paid him back in full for uh for the law school so yeah i think milius is someone if i actually met him he's still alive um he's like yeah 80. He, he unfortunately had a stroke yeah he's not like 10 years ago talking very well but yeah he's still uh, alive. yeah he has communication issues but they say he has perfect memory he just has trouble getting it up um i mean not not a boner but just like getting the words in his head out to his mouth is a hard thing so yeah um which is terrible that's why strokes terrify me because it's like oh i'm a prisoner in my own body now because <laughs> i work with a guy uh, at work who had that and like he talked just like i do right now and then two years later he came back to work and it's like we're writing stuff down <laughs> and and i try to be nice because i mean i i try to be out always with people that have that problem but it's like i just start handing pieces of paper it's like and he can write really fast and tell you what he wants but he can't say it and it's like oh if that happened to me it's like well no more podcasts for nathan <laughs> unless i'm just like writing down and holding it up to... <laughs> but yeah that i mean i saw that that docs from 10 years ago so i'm not sure i'm pretty sure he probably got better but i haven't seen him yeah. uh, i've not seen any recent interviews for the decade in between so He's supposedly working on a Genghis Khan movie, uh, like he's really passionate about. So I kind of doubt that will ever happen. But yeah, um, but yeah, he's still an interesting guy. Watch that doc; it's on Tubi for free. You know, and like yo, know, one of the most iconic writers in Hollywood. So, oh, yeah, for, uh, and you know what? For me, a good guy with 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 bad politics is still a good guy. Just you know, it's hard to convince them. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I'm more lenient on people with bad politics too, because you know, number one, I have a lot of bad politics, and you know, <laughs> also, uh, you know, I understand. Well, also, like the politics of his that people complain about by now are very tame. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he's like but those are old bad politics that would now be just like, like oh, you're kind of like he's like a Clinton Democrat at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's he's probably someone I'd like to talk to. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, also, I always think of made... John Milius when, like, whenever I, because I have like the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack, and so whenever yeah. I think, I listen to like the, uh, oh, what's the selection? Oh, Anvil of Crom, which is like the famous <laughs> title role in that. It's like I always think of like some guy angrily writing a script. <laughs> um, he's like, "Fuck everyone, this is my script." It's like, oh, I want to meet John Milius and talk to him. Uh, he also, yeah, he used to make people pay him in guns yes like, i remember every, reading about that that's amazing for, i like that for every new i mean he went to exclusively but he was like you're giving me my paycheck and you're getting me a gun and then i guess he said after they started paying him like two hundred thousand dollars a script he said you can buy your own goddamn gun yeah <laughs> yeah if i was paying this guy like a quarter million dollars it's like will you go buy whatever the hell you want to with the money i'm gonna give you because i'm not going through these legal hooves to get you a machine gun or whatever you want <laughs> Yeah, and like uh, the you know, and like the his soft, like blackballing from Hollywood kind of came out of the stories of either that did or did not happen. But it's Hollywood, so they're not get let truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah. So a lot of stuff of him about like just pulling guns on people, uh, like not on them, but like he just like set a gun on the table. Like it's like 
you know, with a producer is like, all right, so what are we talking about? <laughs> it's like, you know, clear intimidation tactics, just kind of a vagary as to what his intent is. See, now or, I would know. love that as a producer. I was immediately like, I'm, I'm going to like try to pick it up. Like, what did you got here? You know, it's just like rolling it around to see if it's loaded or whatever. It's like, hey, John, this isn't loaded. I'm not scared. You got to load it the next time. You know, I, I don't, I don't know why people freak out about that. It's like, I just go crazy. Or the other thing, which is the opposite we're talking about, uh, they're doing the voiceover at Apocalypse Now, and John Milius is trying to uh, coerce uh, like a performance out of, um, uh, <laughs> I forget his name, uh, Estevez. Um, oh, Martin Sheen? Oh, yeah, Martin Sheen. Sorry, Estevez was the name the other guy chose. Yeah, That's so he's his trying real to get name, a... but yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so he's trying to coax uh, a performance out of Martin Sheen and so he pulls out his 45, puts it on the table next to him, and he tells him to hold it. He's like, it's locked and loaded, ready to go. Now read your lines. <laughs> That's great. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that works. He, this, that is a genius, like, you know, showing you his craft. Here's a loaded handgun. Now say this dialogue. I mean, that's actually effective. I like that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's wrong. In that context, you know. Uh, I can't remember if, I don't know. I feel like Ron Swanson would be based on Millie's or something. Because I'm not sure if it was him that had like a claymore on his desk that you said front towards enemy. I know it's also something on that Ron Swanson had in an episode or it was there the whole time. I can't remember. Um, some people say that John Goodman's character in Big Lebowski is based off of John Millie's. I could see that. Uh, I've like watched a like look. a bunch of John Milius interviews. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I could sort of see like this guy straying into that territory. <laughs> so yeah, John Milius, interesting guy, contrarian in Hollywood. Uh, you know, part of the you know, and like yeah, you know, that's the thing is like he was a part of that that USC mafia group, but like he never became you know a billionaire billionaire or a multi million. Well, he probably multi millionaire at one point. But, you know, but also, like, he gave away a lot of stuff for free. Like, he was a big idea guy. So, it's like, like, in that documentary, basically, he's, like, attached to almost every great Hollywood movie that was ever made <laughs> because he was just such a great writer or great idea guy. And he just liked to, like, work together with people. So, he didn't necessarily, like, strive for credit and politic his way in that way. He was just like, well, we're friends. We like to make movies together. And that just that just doesn't happen nowadays because everybody needs credit for everything, which they should and do, but you know, it's just different. That's like the Harlan Ellison thing, like pay the writer. It's like, I'll do the work, but you got to pay. <laughs> and everyone hated Harlan Ellison for that. Cause like yeah. John Milius was almost the opposite of Harlan Ellison. <laughs> John Milius is like, yeah, I'll give you my ideas. Just, you know, just in hope of gratitude later, or just because I want to, yeah, I want to see this. this and is I my have idea so here. many ideas. It's like, I, I, there isn't a limit of idea bank here. Like, I don't have X amount of ideas, and then I'm <laughs> Or it's like the Harlan Ellison school is like, I have 10 great ideas, and if you steal nine of them, I'm screwed. So I'm going to be the most litigious writer in the world because I can. And and also I'm violent and angry, uh, which subs John Milius, uh, but for different reasons. Um, yeah, also John Milius was married like four times, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, John Milius is a guy like, uh, it's like, why do we like Clinton, Tar Quentin, Clinton? Why do we like Quentin Tarantino? What, what, I mean, this is Nathan like talking, like, what do I like the most about Quentin Tarantino? The dialogue. 
Yeah. I could give a shit less about the rest of this. St- I mean, some of the stuff he does now is cool. And this, you know, the Rashomon story stuff he did in Pulp Fiction is cool. I just like the dialogue and why is like that's how people talk and act, uh, especially. And it sounds outrageous, but it's like, no, these people are like acting, you know, in, in a persona of like, I'm the ultimate gangster. I'm the ultimate badass. So, of course, they talk that way. Yeah, it's ridiculous and over the top, but that's how those guys talk in real life. Like that's how criminals talk and act because most of them are dumb and it's all ego driven and it's all machismo. <laughs> so in, when Quentin Tarantino does it, it's brilliant because it's like, yeah, he captures the essence of, of what these people do and say. And that, that's what John Milius does in his writing and some of like like the speeches in, in like Sudden Impact or all the or Magnum Force or all the Dirty Harry movies It's like, yeah, people would love to talk that way. They don't. But it's because it never <laughs> comes up. When have you in your life or me in my life had that you know, opportunity to say the 44 Magnum is the most powerful handgun in the world? <laughs> At this range, it could blow your head clean off your body. It can't because it's not big enough. But it's it's great to say. But we never get a chance to say that. But he brings that alive. <laughs> and even like Dirty Harry, which you see is like kind of gets seen as like a, a, a right wing character, which he is. But like in the end of the day, it's like. Well, he's just a guy that kills people, presumably on the good side. Yeah, he's like Judge Dredd for you know, San Francisco in the seventies or whatever. Yeah. It's like yeah, he he's makes not sense. a good person. He's just on your side. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't a guy you want over for dinner, but you're glad he's out there because you don't have to go deal with these psychopaths because he's gonna yeah. literally cut them in half with the. He's your psychopath. Gun. Yeah, yeah, he's your bad guy, which that makes sense. That, and that's always interesting in cinema, and that's what you know. John Milius always loved to to delve into that stuff. So even though he wrote like these characters that get seen as when you turn them into one dimensional stuff, it's like yeah, this is just right wing propaganda. But he always had the other side too, where it's like, well, you're not supposed to like this guy. He's just like holy. You're just supposed to like the idea of him solving terrible problems, so you don't have to. <laughs> well, that's what I like about like John Milius writing from like all the way back through you know the modern times but it's like yeah those are all just like dirty harry conan the barbarian those are all just the blue collar guys that fix your toilet you don't want to (laughs) know how the toilet gets fixed you just need to know that it's fixed and uh and these are their stories which you never get to hear and when you do hear them everyone's like poo poos them is like oh that's too simplistic and violent and barbaric and it's like yeah dude that's what most of life is (laughs) like it or not that's what life is. It's, it's, it's like no one thinks that's good. No one wants their kids to grow up to be that thing. But you know what? You need those guys. Otherwise, the toilets don't flush or <laughs> whatever else you want to, you know. Uh, so so that's that's why I'm like, oh, this is why I like this stuff. It's not just because I'm like nascently conservative and, you know, believe in a lot of weird. Shit. It's like, yeah, this is this is how the sausage gets made. No one wants to see it, but it, this is how it happens. We also had some interesting stuff about like his planned Conan trilogy, where it's like, well, after he kills, uh, oh, what's his, what's Doom, what's, what's his name, Falsa Doom, Falsa Doom, Doom, yeah. Um, after he kills him, it's like, well, things are kind of empty, and the next f- movies would be discovering like, well, after you've killed the person for revenge, what happens then, and kind of discovering like, you know, ha- having to have him run away from things and saying not be brave and like rediscover you know uh, other things that would make his life whole and it's like again violence or whatever it's like okay that sounds interesting (laughs) 
I mean, we we got to do Conan the Barbarian again, but my favorite part is when he's Conan's getting ready for the ambush. And he's like, Crom, I don't know if I ever really believed in you or or anything else like this, but I, you know, I need you with me. It's, it's something like that. It's yeah. like I can hear someone getting ready to get re- I could imagine in my mind if I was like getting ready to have a violent sword fight with a bunch of people that I'm outnumbered and I'm pr- I may not win statistically the odds are not in my favor it's like talking to my god it's like I don't know at this point if you really exist or not but if you do like prove it to me <laughs> you know bring me this victory or go to hell it's like that's awesome <laughs> that's really amazing you don't hear that kind of like because people do have conversations like that with god all the time whether it's crom or <laughs> the god of abraham or whatever they believe in and it's like yeah this is that that's a rare moment of honor and no one remembers that from conan the barbarian i do but it's like yeah that's amazing it's like crom i don't know if you're there or if you ever were or if you ever believed if i ever believed in you but you know and uh, and that's what i like about this guy and it's you know, and I think it's like yeah, this is why people like Quentin Tarantino too. Quentin Tarantino is a more polished version of John Milius, and he'd probably <laughs> like tell me I'm a <laughs> for saying that or whatever. But that's what I've I've always believed. Well, I mean, that's it's also the interesting about like of the group that he's associated that Milius is associated with. They're all directors, and he was mostly a writer. He did directing too, but mostly he was like the best writer out of the group. Yeah, because like I mean. Like Lucas was more of a technician and a big idea guy, and then Spielberg was just the best all around talent, but still not a writer. I mean, he did write some, but uh, no, not Spielberg as much. just knows how to put a movie together structurally. Yeah, <laughs> like his best movie ever still is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I, I don't, I'll argue that with <laughs> people will say, like, no, no, this was better. It's like, no, Close Encounters was his best movie because structurally how he put that together because i think that was written by like 500 people and the way he put it together was amazing it's still i still to this day watch that movie and i'm in awe and it's like a 70s movie and it's like this is amazing <laughs> well we're, I, I always forget that we do this and so thus i didn't think of a thing but we're we're sending a probe into space yeah containing the supercut of scenes from all the imperfect collection that is the verhoeven effect and so for this movie, what scene do you send into space? Well, to explain this to Viger, um, I, I real, I'm divided between two scenes. There's there's two scenes there, of course. And a lot of this has to do with riff tracks, so it's probably not the most original thought I've ever had. But it's either the Avenge Me scene. I have two. So it's either the Avenge Me scene uh, at the re-education camp or just the end of the movie when they're dying on the bench together. <laughs> and it's like, well, all we really ever had was that we were brothers, but that kind of ties back into dad, like avenge me. It's like, I did. <laughs> and now we're I'm just dying with my brother on a bench somewhere, <laughs> alone and forgotten in Colorado, outside of Boulder or wherever the hell this is supposed to be. So I, 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 yeah, I can't decide which one I saw. Yeah, I'm going to have to just like take a mulligan and like both because that's the cheap answer. All right. I don't know why I always forget to do that, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hack that. I'll put that on the Spotify. There's some Spotify thing. You can add a question to your podcast and apparently people can click on it. 
Uh, I tried checking Spotify and it doesn't show up, so I don't know where it goes. But I wrote it in there. But uh, we'll, well, whoever's we'll pirating this material to write their next screenplay. <laughs> uh, well, if you like what you heard and how can you can find us at uh, VerhovenEffect.com. You can uh, on your po- on your podcast platform of choice. You can rate our podcast. You can rate it with whatever you want. But the only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Yeah, we have listeners. <laughs> we have listener support at veroneffect.com where you can support this podcast on a monthly stipend of either ninety nine cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine. You can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us at Facebook at Verhoeven Effect, and you can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. Watch both this show and that show live and unedited. And we have T-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash Greed Factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Conlon and I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America.